Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right. This one's for William. Is this the scientist? I guess. It's It's the exorcist. Oh, God. Come up and see me, William Peter Blatty. We wanna make a film from your novel. The one about the demon, the demon Pazuzu. When he makes the girl behave so awful. Somebody call William Friedkin. He sits at the top of Blatty's list. Somebody call William Friedkin. Blatty thinks he's the one he wouldn't insist to direct the exorcist. He won for direction of the French connection. That's when Friedkin's reputation popped. Some people were skeptic cause his methods were hectic. He kept the head spinning like a top. He injured Ellen Burstyn. He had Linda Blair Curson shot a rifle and bitch slapped a priest. But when the film came out, audiences passed out. They couldn't believe what they had seen. Nobody said there'd be green puke. Dick Smith fucking killed it with the pea soup. Two wins and ten nominations. 
a film with crucifixion masturbation Today on Cinema Possessed We're talking one of William Friedkin's all-time best We're talking The Exorcist Justin's silently weeping in the corner. Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Nisham. And with us, as always, is the Captain Howdy of this podcast. Clay Clifford. Corsuzu. <laughs> she does eat a bunch of eggs and drink whiskey before every podcast. Every That's true. time. I'm going to need eggs, whiskey, and cigarettes. <laughs> Two priests. Time to a chair. <laughs> I'll do your movie freaking. Each week, we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be cast out like an unclean spirit. My head's spinning, waiting to find out what what we think. Well, this was an emergency pod, basically. Mm -hmm. We found out Last week that William Friedkin had passed, he was, of course, the director of The Exorcist. He also directed The French Connection, To Live and Die in L.A., Cruising, Bug, Killer Joe. I mean, tons of great stuff. It's a bummer that he's gone. He's Some people are probably celebrating. <laughs> yeah. Ellen Burstyn's. Uh... He had, yeah. Oh, finally. Yeah. He had quite a reputation. He was known as a uh, a great storyteller, a raconteur, and a very, very funny interviewer, for sure. He had a lot of really funny <laughs> Quotes and interviews. Everybody knows about the Nicholas Winding reference yes. interview. <laughs> Multiple people it. brought it up to me this week who aren't even like <laughs> big movie buffs. There's a great, great interview between him and Nicholas Winding Refn where Refn is kind of trying to talk about how he believes that Only God Forgives, which is one of his movies, is a masterpiece on the level of Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, William Friedkin rightfully just... <laughs> this movie isn't even a pimple on the asshole of humanity. <laughs> Just destroys him. He has a really funny one where he, uh, somebody asks him about like Batman versus Superman, and he says, I don't want a bunch of smucks who call themselves judges sitting in a fucking room going, Oh, La Dolce Vita is not as good as Batman versus Superman. Fuck them and the horse they rode in on, and the ship that brought them here, and the dog that walks behind them. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow, where so does he great. get this attitude? From? Oh my god! And there's a gr- another great one where somebody asks him, like, you know, uh, they're, they're talking about cruising, and they're like, you know, Al Pacino thinks about the ending of cruising. He cuts him off. He goes, "I don't give a flying <laughs> fuck into a rolling donut what Al Pacino thinks." <laughs> 
That's hilarious. He's yeah. like a crotchety old grandma, but hilarious, and he knows he's funny too. Yeah. Like he knew that he's smiling. He's yeah. always like smirking. <laughs> he's while having he a good time. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna miss the guy. Um, well, Justin, what movie are we talking about today? Today we're talking about 1973's The Exorcist. Something beyond comprehension is happening to a little girl on this street, in this house. A man has been sent for as a last resort to try and save her. Yeah, you you under you hear that and you understand kind of why people were pretty hyped about this movie when mm-hmm. it came out. Speaking of on the on the last Patreon episode, we talked a little bit about movies being overhyped and what that can do to your enjoyment of the film. Mm-hmm. And I would say this movie, maybe more than any other movie on the planet, probably suffers from the overhyped aspect of it because I think well today or today yeah. because most people of our generation are born into the hype. You you go your whole life hearing mm-hmm. about how this is the scariest movie ever made before you see it. Yeah, and so it's I, already a meme. It's already a meme. And so- T-shirts that Spencer's- You end like up that. running into a lot of people who finally watch it for the first time and then they're like, it's not very scary. Well, they want to say that. I know. I feel like that's like maybe you heard that a lot more like when you were like in middle school or high school, because I feel like adults, like when the movie comes up now, all are like, yeah, this shit is fucking scary. Creepy, right? It's a movie that it hits a new level of you in adulthood, where you're like, exactly. I'm also tired of people saying about anything, especially movies from the 70s. They say about Rosemary's Babies, uh, Rosemary's Baby, Halloween, Exorcist. Oh, what? I didn't think it was that scary. Mm -hmm. As if that's the only metric for what makes a movie valuable, and completely disregards the context and the time period in which the movie came out. Exactly. Yeah. Good for you. In <laughs> yeah. 2023, you don't think The Exorcist was that scary. Well, and it's all about expectation, too. I think so many people go into it for the first time expecting something that is is in much more the traditional horror vein. So they're expecting the jump scares. They're expecting all the sort of tropes of a horror movie. And this movie sort of actively defies those all through it. But it's one of those movies that the more you watch it, not only the better it gets, but I find the movie gets scarier every time I watch it. It's it's like a fine wine. It just gets better with age. And I think anybody, despite how they feel the first time they watch it, probably has a different take on it if they watch it again. Yeah, I think it definitely gets scarier with age because I just keep being like, what, what would you do? What would you do? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like with, with all of the advances that horror movies have made with some things like you know, hereditary coming out being mm-hmm. genuinely yeah. chilling and disturbing, the movie is still scary Me too. it's still effective even with the memes yeah even with how much we know about it culturally it's it's what makes it effective beyond just the concept mm-hmm. the make the effectiveness of the makeup is what friedkin does with the pacing and the mm-hmm. storytelling yeah. it's just a series of the and, right choices to yeah. kind of make it timeless and it doesn't. I, I would say watching it again, I really didn't feel like anything about it felt dated, other than the fact that you can clearly tell it was made in the seventies. But the, just the power of it mm-hmm. isn't dated. You know, like 
every choice is the right one to make you not roll your eyes. Like I never once was like, that sucks. The only thing that's dated about it is something that I wish more movies did, which is that it like very much takes its time. Like it's Mm -hmm. such a slow build. It's a mood piece. Yes. And you don't really get that in movies anymore. But a real masterful mood piece. Like really works like gangbusters. What, what was, um, what's your history with these, with this movie? Was it something that you, feel like you've known about since you were well before you ever saw the movie like a little kid when i was born i feel like <laughs> pretty I've much known it does it since yeah. then like i can't think of a time of not known mm-hmm. you but like probably took you a while before you actually saw it right yeah but i think i saw it in middle school mm-hmm. or at least it was like at a part i don't know like sitting down to watch it which i'll say when we get into the movie but like i did not remember the whole beginning part of the movie at all. Right, the Iraq sequence? Yes, at all. This would not be a good party movie. No, <laughs> but I think that's where it would like play. It's yeah. like at sleepovers and stuff like that. I think that. it's actually fun. In the, you know, you go to some parties and someone has a projector and they're mm-hmm. playing a movie. Now that's a great one. Sure, that's yeah. a great background. Yeah. Good background, good background. Great. You can't, you won't be able to look away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you, Justin? Was this something that you were, were you afraid to see the movie when you were a kid? I was afraid... Just because um, my parents were afraid and they were warning me how <laughs> bad it was and they kept saying, you're not ready. You're not ready. Yeah. You're like, not what, ready. At what point am I ready? <laughs> yeah. And I do remember at one point, my mom had a group of friends, coworkers. She worked at a biology lab in a community college mm-hmm. my whole life. And so she had these... Uh, teacher's aides who would like help her basically who were also students and so they came over one night and it and it was okay in this group after years of harassing my parents with a bunch of different people that my mom liked and respected Mm -hmm. she let us watch the exorcist together in the basement and so i was sitting and we had a big futon couch in the basement Uh and i was uh sitting on that surrounded by like four women (laughs) sandwiched in between them pretending like ooh i'm scared or or i'm not scared yeah. or whatever i was big, strong yeah. whatever Boy i was here. trying to do and we watched it <laughs> i do remember immediately believing it wasn't as bad as i thought it would be yeah, yeah. it wasn't until the next night the of night course. after that mm-hmm. sleeping alone that visions of linda blair's head and face yeah creeps in in little mm-hmm. moments you know and mm-hmm. um my mom also used to let me come visit her at work and I would wander around her biology lab. Mm-hmm. And there was one room in the lab that was <laughs> off limits. I wasn't allowed to go Brains. in. And it was always locked. And my mom wouldn't even really tell me what was in there, like cats and dissected things for dissection. And one day I remember going there and it was open. And so I went in and I looked around and there were these jars filled with baby heads. No. Oh my God. Wait, like real ba- baby ba- heads? Dead babies. That just that ba- can't be demented. real. <laughs> Have you talked to your mom about this since you didn't invent that in your brain? I, I don't think I invented I don't know. Justin, I'll, you I'll must ask, ask your mom <laughs> I don't think they had real baby heads. <laughs> They're, dead. They're dead. It's it for dissection. You know, Why just are in they case we need to real study a baby head. heads in I a jar. You. I promise you, I didn't make this up. You okay? <laughs> I, you have to call your mom yeah. after this and report back because uh, I can't. I can't. My mom was a serial killer, murdering <laughs> children, putting them in. But um, yeah, so then those kinds of images would mix together with yeah. the exorcist. Yeah. So it just—it's a port. Exorcist is a portal that mm-hmm. just opens your yeah. mind to all sorts of darkness and then other scary things just become way more scary. Yeah. But 
actually speaking of my mom, I do have testimony and a witness from 1973 Ooh. from her her retelling the story of the first time she saw the exorcist in theaters in, Hi- in the holy land of Haifa, Palestine. Okay, this is, I'm going to, I got it queued up. Oh, let's, hear, let's hear from Dina what she has to say. Oh my God. First of all, I was 14 years old. They would admit that they didn't have restrictions back home on like created R and, you know, not to go. So me, Auntie Viola, Auntie Hanan, we, and my dad decided to go because we heard so much about this movie that people are being taken by ambulance because they fainted because it's scary. (laughs) Okay, so we go, we watch it. And by the time the movie finished, I was like beyond terrified to the point like when we were, because we walked from the theater to my house. So Auntie Viola on one side of dad, scared like crazy. Hanan is on the other side, and I had no place to get close to my dad because the two of them took his arms. So I'm like holding onto him like from the back as we are walking from the theater to the house. For the next month, every night I would dream about the head turning of that girl. Do you know what she did? And your dad didn't have any reservations about taking he you? Did, no, no reservation, which I'm like thinking now, I'm like, for God's sake, I was 14. That night I went to bed and I'm just like <laughs> shivering and, you know, and then after the movie or during when it came out, a lot of stories came out like that, that there are possessions in Lebanon, in different like countries around the area. So, you know. <laughs> Every now and then we will hear a story about uh, possessions or something like that. And I just, the dreams just kept coming for like, at least for a month. I remember, yeah, like two people had to leave to the hospital or emergency in an ambulance. People are getting sick. There's a bunch of ambulance were lined up. They were like prepared for it because it had been running for a while. So the ambulance were already there. I know people were fainting or whatever. I didn't throw up. I didn't faint or anything, but I was terrified. It was, it was, it was traumatic. And after that, I refused to watch it. Like I could, I could watch fake horror movies that I know that can never happen. But this gave me the idea that it can happen and it can happen to me or it can happen to someone I know, oh, you know? Wow. Oh, I miss That's your amazing. mom. <laughs> your mom is so cute. And I she can't. touches on so many things there. One, that sounds like that experience is the way it was in like every city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like documentaries about this. It was happening in New York. It was happening in Atlanta, Los Angeles. Like all, And it, even there, it's like crazy how widespread the hysteria was over this movie. So my mom was in town when we watched the movie and we asked her about it and she actually corrected you on the year because yeah. Jack was like, oh, I, I think was it was in the later 70s. Yeah, later 70s. My mom was like, no, no, it wasn't because I was, I think she said she was in middle school. Yeah. She was probably the same age as your mom. She had very vivid memories of it. 14, yeah. And she was like, I, I was, she had never seen it until this week when she watched it with us because she was so scared of it. And this movie was a humongous hit. It was it's the highest grossing horror movie of all time until it came out. Wow. Until 2017. It's made over a billion dollars. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. interesting too that she says like, you know, I can watch other horror movies that I know can't happen. This is a fantasy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like but the way it's told uh-huh. and the fact that it is 
about biblical stuff, it like it crosses a boundary and it takes that fantastical stuff into a realm of reality that I mean, people there were reports of people who were like convinced that the movie itself was possessing people. Well, it's like how I with horror movies that we watch, the things that scare me the most, like I am not religious, did not grow up religious, Mm -hmm. but it is movies like this, like about the devil. Possession and ghost things are what scare. Like when I'm alone at night and it's dark, and I like <laughs> look down the hallway, my biggest fear is like a ghost. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds insane, but that type of this type of movie is the scariest type of horror film. Yeah. The devil mm-hmm. gonna get you. I don't it's scary. I don't remember like how The Exorcist was explained to me, or or like how I sort of learned about the folklore of it. But I definitely, at a very early age, was well aware of the existence of the movie. And my dad had the Tubular Bells record, the Mike Oldfield record. And I remember him telling me this is the music from The Exorcist. I feel like the music of The Exorcist, the music of Halloween, and the music of Jaws have got to be like the three most recognizable. Big time, yeah. You've you've nailed the big three there, honestly. And it's interesting you bring up Halloween, too, because Carpenter has um, referenced the fact that Tubular Bells was an influence. That's interesting that you say that, because actually, when if you would have just played that music for me Mm -hmm. out of context and been like, what do you think this is from? I think I would have thought Halloween. And then it would have been like, oh, yeah, 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 Exorcist. What you hear in the movie is basically the first 30 seconds of Tubular Bells. It's a 25-minute prog rock opera song. Yeah, (laughs) It goes crazy places. And so when I was a kid, I would listen to it, and in my assumption, it was the score of the movie. Yeah. So I would listen to that and be like, do they go to outer space in this movie? (laughs) Like, at the end of the, the song, too, there's sort of this, like, jam session with all these instruments where this disembodied voice is going like lead guitar Spanish guitar and introducing acoustic guitar and so I was like do they have to like summon rock and roll music to get the devil oh out of this <laughs> but I was terrified of the movie yeah. and I remember seeing like clips of it every now and then like I was really into this show called movie magic on the discovery channel that was all about special effects it was one of my favorite tv shows mm-hmm. and I remember them doing one on the exorcist and being really afraid to watch it but like sitting through it and seeing sort of some of the effects of the head turning and things like that but it wasn't until it came on monster vision which I've brought up before on previous episodes I think the fly was an episode Uh, I was way too terrified to watch it. So I was like, I'm going to be in another room doing another thing. But my brother was watching it. And because I was like curious, I would kind of keep my ear to the door like around the corner. And when I heard it was going into the commercial breaks where Joe Bob Briggs, the host, would like talk about things. That's when I would sort of saunter in because I felt like I was safe and I could sort of hear Joe Bob talk about it. (laughs) So I kind of strolled in when I heard it was a commercial break and he brings up the vomit. And it hard cuts just to the shot of her going blah and mm. spitting it all over him. And I think Joe Bob went, I'll never eat pea soup again or something like that. But that visual, I'd never seen the visual of that before until that moment. And I was not expecting to. And I remember turning around, walking out of the room, walking into my parents' room, sitting on the bed and Crying. just sobbing, Aww. just breaking. The, and they being like, what happened? What's going on? And I was like, I saw something I don't want to see. And <laughs> it was so burned into my head that I was probably 14 before I felt like I was brave enough to actually watch The Exorcist. Oh. And I remember when the version you've never seen got re-released and the trailers would come on during <laughs> movies and I would sit in the movie theaters 
and close my eyes and plug my ears with my fingers because I was so afraid of even just the trailer for the movie. I finally kind of was like getting into horror movies and I was like, I think I might be ready to watch The Exorcist. And it was the version you've never seen. And it was a big deal to like sit down and my heart was like pumping. And I had kind of the same experience as you of like, I made it through and it wasn't as bad as I thought. I was still pretty scared the whole time because I was just kind of riding on the tension of what I thought was going to be. So how did you watch it this time? So I unfortunately do not own a DVD or Blu-ray copy of it because I had the version you've never seen. And at some point in my life, I kind of like went and figured out what the differences were and then watched the original version of it and decided that that is my preferred version. I don't particularly like the version you've never seen. And so I got rid of it with the intention of upgrading to a Blu-ray that was the uh, original, because you can find the original theatrical cut. Um, and I just never did. So unfortunately, I don't have a copy here today. I watched it on streaming, but we did watch the theatrical cut. We did. We watched but, the original I, theatrical did it cut. Specify that it was theatrical. Yeah, it did. It was like it made it clear. It said, "Yeah, the the original." Did cut. you do any digging into what Friedkin prefers? So, from what I gather, they released the version you've never seen cut. I think in the year two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. And all up until that point, Friedkin had never once said anything about not liking the version. He was always very happy and very content with the version. The way he puts it is that William Peter Blatty, who wrote the novel, the original novel that this movie is based on, came to him and said, they want to re-release the movie. I would be interested in putting in some scenes that we decided to cut. Mm. Some of it is like kind of fun, just effect stuff. Like there's one particular sequence, the, the spider walk down the stairs they couldn't put in the original movie because they couldn't find a way to hide the wires. They didn't have CG and VFX to like go in and erase that them. That is a creepy, creepy. Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool little part. Uh, but you know, in the year two thousand, they could erase the wires, so they put that sequence back in. There's a handful, and then they kind of he did monkey around with it a little he bit. Li- in he ways. went George Lucas. He, a little he bit. Lucas did a little yeah. bit, and a handful of those scenes they kind of changed the interpretation of the movie in certain ways. And these were scenes that he and and uh, William Friedkin had argued about. Back in 1973, when they were like cutting the movie, Can you give an example? for the ending, the, the the whole last scene of the movie has additions to it that, in my opinion, are kind of cheesy and change the way you interpret the Silly. film. Uh, we'll Wait, get into it. Yeah, I'm so curious. So basically, Friedkin was never like a very religious man. I don't think he grew up super religious. I think he walked into this movie almost as like an agnostic or an atheist. But he said not as a cynic. But not as a cynic, yeah. yeah. Blatty, very Catholic, very religious. And so that's where the difference in themes come from, was Blatty kind of wants wanted it to be clear that like good wins out over evil in this movie and you know, people find their faith. Yeah. It's just a movie about if characters you, finding their faith. If one of your friends is a priest, you're officially religious. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They had fought about it back in the 70s, and William Friedkin won, won out and was like, no, this is the version I want to, this is what I want to be in there. You know, now that they're older, the year 2000, they're close friends. The way William Friedkin puts it, William Peter Blatty gave me the best material I had ever gotten in my career. And I felt like I owed it to him to like let him do this. Oh. So they kind of together went and put back in all this sort of, uh, deleted material. So yeah. this is more like the William Peter Blatty version of it. Yeah. Just a little backstory. The movie was originally offered to Kubrick and it was also offered to Mike Nichols. They both I turned it down. That. Friedkin at the time was not even that exciting for the studio either because he had made French Connection, but it hadn't come out yet. Right. And the only reason why William Peter Blatty was so invested in William Friedman was, is because 
Earlier in his career, he had written like a pilot script and somehow that pilot script landed into William Friedkin's hand and William Friedkin was like, this script sucks ass <laughs> and like shot it totally straight with him. And he was like, I always respected him for that. So when Kubrick turned it down and Mike Nichols turned it down, the studio was like, well, we'll find somebody. And he just went kind of rogue and mailed Friedkin the book. And Friedkin read the book and was like, I'm obsessed with this. I have to direct this movie. Mm -hmm. And so then it was William Peter Blatty who had to go to the studios and be like, I want this guy to do he it. He saw French Connection. He was like, this is raw, real, gritty. Yeah. He wanted The Exorcist to have a documentary mm -hmm. feel to it. And yeah, once French Connection came out, it did gangbusters. It was a huge hit in theaters. And then eventually he won Best Director uh, for that. And then after that, the studio was like, all right, he's mm -hmm. he's our guy. We'll, we'll go for it. And him. also, too, Hollywood was changing, too. This was like the end of the studio era mm -hmm. where power was shifting from the studios and executives to the director. Yeah. So he was just running amok. He had more power than <laughs> yeah. ever. Friedkin saw this movie as not a horror movie. He saw it as an investigation of spirituality, about the mystery of faith. He doesn't like calling it a horror movie. William Peter Blatty did the same thing. He calls it a supernatural detective movie. He says it's not a horror movie. Linda Blair calls it a theological thriller and says that she gets in arguments with people who call it a horror movie. What the fuck is their problem? Why are they so anti Well, today they would be, they'd be stoked about it. I think it is a thing about like we've come around now to accepting that genre can also mean prestige. Yeah, I don't think there was prestige around horror back then. They also talk shit about Rosemary's Baby too. They were like, oh, oh we, don't, we don't want this to be anything like Rosemary's Baby. They probably just didn't want to feel like they were being a knockoff mm -hmm. because that was a hugely popular movie too. And I guess there's similar themes going on yeah. in there. How is your like faith dar on this movie? You know, you typically you typically kind of bump wrong with movies that are either pro faith or or are hugely about. You know, what 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 was your feelings on this one? I I, I feel like a Max von Sydow in this. Like mm -hmm. he's coming in with growing up with depictions of the devil. He he said in Scandinavian folklore, the devil is kind of like a dipshit. <laughs> and so he was like, I don't believe in the devil. The devil is like stupid. Yeah. He's just coming in to tell a good story, have a good time. And you mean the actor? Yeah, the actor. Yeah, the actor yeah. The, his perspective on it, that he can come in, mm -hmm. come out. He's not religious. He doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to understand that in order to do the part. I feel like that's me as the audience. Right. With this movie, the way everything's coming together, I can appreciate it, even though it's very heavy on the on the religion. It doesn't, doesn't rub you it the doesn't wrong way. Do things that signs that signs. Oh my god, do you to gotta me. let signs go. <laughs> signs is way more on the nose about it to me than this movie. Well, is. which version did you watch? Uh, the version you've never seen before. So you watched I'm, the version that is a little more on the nose about it. Yeah. Obviously, the movie's making no bones about it. The devil exists. Yeah. I think it's it's saying God exists, you know, that that religion is real. But the idea that all these characters find their faith by the end of the movie is a little bit more up for interpretation in the original theatrical version. Right. Because it's it makes it pretty clear that they're not a religious family. It says that multiple times in the movie that it's like they don't go to church, they're not religious. And Chris McNeil, Ellen Burson's character, basically just resorts to having to call upon the priest as like a last ditch effort when sort of science fails to help her daughter. By the end of this movie, there's this sort of uh, father, Karis, has this like St. Joseph's necklace that falls off of him. And by the end of the movie, Ellen Burson has it and she gives it to the other priest at the end of the film. In the version you've never seen, the priest takes it and then gives it back to her and says, you take it, which is like a symbol of like, now you've got God, 
You know, like you have your faith, here it is. In the theatrical version, she gives it to him, rolls up the window, drives away. And I think there's an argument to be made that that is her saying, I don't want any part of any of this. Uh, My whole take on this movie is that God and the devil are maybe one in the same, or at least you can't have one without the other, and you got to believe in both in order for either one of them to have any effect on you. There's a scene where Ellen Burstyn finds a crucifix in Reagan's bed. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know how it got there. The movie never clarifies how it got there. And I think you could interpret it that Reagan has, since some time before this, found religion. And that is what's made her susceptible to being possessed. You're leaping. You're making big leaps. Why? Well, there's nothing to support that. How the did the film. cross get in there? We don't know. That's what, that's, well, that's what I'm taking I think as... It's, to me, the movie's implying that somebody else put it in, in there. I had never thought about mm-hmm. it the way that you're saying. I had always assumed it was somebody in yeah. the house that like, put it in there. Nothing supports that she found Christianity. She found a Ouija board. That's what she found. Yes, but that doesn't seem to me like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying your thing is wrong. It is interesting because it does suddenly make me think about myself and how when I was like that age that she is, I became obsessed with religion Mm -hmm. because my parents weren't religious. I was like, I need religion. I like went to the Catholic church. I like went to all of these different things. So like, that's kind of an interesting take, but I do, I never thought that because it- I don't know if it is supported. Ultimately, this is maybe even a deeper conversation, but like I've always kind of felt like the mythology of God Mm -hmm. would not really necessarily allow the devil to exist if God is so all powerful. But what I could buy is that, you know, there's been there's many stories in the Bible where God does something to prove a point. So what I could buy is that God and the devil are kind of the same. The devil is there to make you find your faith, to test you to put you through hell so that you then appreciate God and bring him into your heart or whatever. So if you kind of take that reading on it, if ultimately this whole movie is to force non-religious characters to become religious or religious characters who are questioning their faith to confirm their faith, I kind of like that by the end of this movie in the theatrical cut, Ellen Burson's like, yes, but I'm not holding on to this shit. Yeah. I'm, you, you have it all. I much prefer her giving it back. Yeah, I don't like the version where she's like, yep, I'm with God now. But I think Friedkin would say, especially after his 2000 cut, he says that the devil is not there for Reagan. The right. devil is there for Karis to mm-hmm. test him and to test his faith. Right? Uh, so your, your theory, I think... You're you're onto something, but you're focusing too much on Reagan by true, inventing a backstory about her. That's story is the her, movie. Uh, versus he's the one who's lost yeah. his faith. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so it gets kind of tested by all of this. Well, I feel like that because it, it does feel like it's his movie more than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that Freakin necessarily. Sa- Freakin says it's for Karis. You think that well, it's Ellen Burson's not- movie? Of course. I think she is the main character, but if you act, well, I don't know. I do kind of think the priest is the one who goes through the biggest emotional one movie, but yeah. But like who, like if we were following who the devil is testing or whatever, it seems like it is the priest. Well, I think it's testing everybody. You're dealing with a character like Father Karras who is losing his faith. He's questioning it and he's considering leaving the faith. You have these characters over here that have no faith. And by the end of the movie, they kind of come out of it realizing it's all real, mm-hmm. okay? I'm not denying that. I'm not saying that the movie doesn't do that. But 
my take on the reading of the of the the reason why I like the theatrical cut better is because it allows me to say Ellen Burstyn isn't coming out of this being like I'm a true believer now. I think she's coming out of it being like thanks for helping, but you can take your god and your devil and and get as far away from me as possible. But she's not giving it to him because she doesn't have faith. Obviously, after this harrowing experience with the <laughs> devil and yeah. with priests and God, she <laughs> believes. There's no question about that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. She's giving it to Karis's best like friend. As like a this gift. This is your yeah. friend. Friedkin's approach to the whole movie that felt at odds with Blatty was Friedkin wanted a more subtle approach to everything. Yes. Didn't want to spoon feed stuff to you. Which is allows me to have my stupid theories. Yeah. <laughs> I love that all my theories are like dropping bombs into the conversation. Good, <laughs> yeah. Most of the time they result in a just like, no. Well, usually it is me and Justin. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm glad I like sort of, sort of convinced I you. I see uh, what you're, you didn't convince me. Well, I sort of got you, you to, never to see what I'm me. saying. I see, but I see what you're saying. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk more about The Exorcist. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to Cinema Possess. We are talking the Exorcist. And in my version, I got a really cool blue Warner Brothers logo. Did you get that cool blue WB logo? I don't think so. It was cool. It's just like kind of has this like ghostly look to it. Uh, great big red font that comes up that you immediately get some cool sound design. All the sound score work was done by Jack Nietzsche, uh, who did like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest music. He did Cruisin'. He did Hardcore. He initially got Bernard Herman to do the score, who did Psycho, a bunch of Hitchcock stuff. One of the greatest composers of all time. It was a dream come true for Friedkin to be able to work with him. He flew to wherever Paris or wherever uh, Bernard Herman resided at the time. Screened him the movie. When the lights came up in the theater, Bernard Harmon said, yeah, I can fix this piece of shit. Leave it with me for a couple months and I'll mail you a score. Yeah. And Friedkin was like, okay. (laughs) And he was like, what do you have in mind? And he was like, I see this church organ. I can base the whole thing around the church organ. And Friedkin was like, you want to use a church organ to do it? And he was like, yeah. And you got to cut that whole opening sequence in Iraq too. And Friedkin said, he got up. He said, I appreciated getting to meet you. And he walked out and he never talked to him again. He said, I don't give a fuck (laughs) if he's the greatest composer of all time. One of the biggest disappointments of his life, he said, uh, that experience. Tons of respect for him for walking out on Bernard Herrmann, though. I mean, it's like, don't don't just 
you know, salute somebody for their pedigree and mm-hmm. their prestige. It's like he's he doesn't give a shit about you or your movie. Right. Then walk away, you know? Yeah. So disrespectful to to say to a director, I can save this piece of mm-hmm. shit. I'll uh. mail you a copy of the score. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh. How dare you? People are insane. Uh, so this movie opens in northern Iraq. Corey didn't remember this part. I did not remember this at all. I actually think this is pretty great. Everybody told him to cut this out of the movie. It is a little bit long. People told William Peter Blatty to cut it out of the book. Mm-hmm. And both Blatty and Friedkin agreed that like this is the way to set the tone for the movie. And they actually shot it in Iraq. With hordes of people, like it, it clearly a, a massively expensive sequence. Yeah, that would be shot in Burbank today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although it did remind mm-hmm. me that like the Safdie brothers do that at the the opening of Uncut Gems is clearly a nod to the opening of The yeah, Exorcist because true. it's basically doing the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Same scene. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I think it's cool. It to me, what it does is it draws the line to like ancient shit. You know what I mean? Like for sure. Without it, you're not thinking quite about how like cosmic this whole thing is, you know, how like deep rooted in the earth it is. So th- to me, that's what it serves to achieve. I think this part I rocks. Ooh, you gotta go. <laughs> Actually nice. podcast over. We get to meet Max von Sydow's character, Father Marin. This is kind of crazy to me. Dick Smith did the makeup for this movie. He did all the possession stuff and everything. Max von Sydow was 44 when he m- made this movie. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be playing a character who's in his 80s. All of that is prosthetic makeup on him. What? It's it's some of the best old age makeup That's there's insane. ever been. He was 44. I 100% thought he was an 80-year-old man. When you see the behind-the-scenes stuff of this, he looks like a snack daddy. Wow. Like young, youthful. It's great. This is some of the, I think it's the most impressive makeup effects in the film. But you would never, most people. Wow, that's crazy. Most people just assume that he was an old man. Yeah, looks nuts. When he made this movie. He finds a little Pazuzu head, a little small thing. I want to get one of those. No, absolutely not. We're not having not that for in Halloween. Put it. What about no. like one like that's like a yard statue? No, man. I don't want devil <laughs> shit in my house. Real dig site. But yeah, they were they were actually digging and pulling all the runes that you see, like those heads and stuff, was all stuff the shit they, they were, were pulling finding, out. Yeah. That's insane. And then there's a like a, a moment where they they find another statue and it's a huge version of it, and we get to actually see full body and Pazuzu's kind of like this chimera creature that's sort of an amalgamation of other things. But the big thing about him is he has a huge, huge dick, snake dick, yeah. <laughs> Just poking, poking up high. Mm-hmm. And there's a cool shot where there's like both of them on either side of the frame. And it's like the standoff, basically, which is kind of what the. I like that. That's the movie. It's like ultimately it's going to come down to these two, the demon and the father. Marin! Marin! And then it draw, dissolves to Georgetown. And I think it doesn't say years later, right? Uh-uh. But I think it's supposed to be. Really? Yeah, I think from the book, it's supposed to be like 10 years later. Uh, but the movie does not clarify that, no. which is a theme. This movie doesn't clarify a lot of things, which I think is to its advantage. It does clarify that Ellen Burson is living a dream life. Yeah, so we meet Ellen Burson. Her name is Chris McNeil, and she's an actress. The whole time I was like, until their baby gets possessed, I was like, this woman's living the dream. She's like a famous actress, having fun parties, has her daughter, mm-hmm. is like just killing it. Yeah. Did you know that they almost had Carol Burnett was almost the mom? Yeah. That he was that that was the first choice, but the studio said no. And then Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. And she wanted to do it, but she lived in Rome and she didn't mm-hmm. want to go to America to shoot it. Jane Fonda said, I'm not shooting this capitalistic <laughs> yeah, yeah. shit. <laughs> and and ultimately Ellen Burstyn, she was not a name at this point in time. She had done the last picture show, which she only had a, like a smaller role, and she'd never led a movie before, but she was like 
totally passionate about the part and called William Friedkin. Mm -hmm. And he was like, look, we're out to the biggest actresses in the, in the industry right now. Like, you're not going to get this role. But she was like, just come meet me. And he said that she was just so passionate and so correctly in tune with the character that it totally won him over. And then he had to just go fight for her well, because the studio yeah, didn't. First, that he, she, goes, she, he goes, oh, you, well, I heard that she was like, I was meant to play this role. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. was like, this is the role I was Which meant to Which is a theme everybody with basically that, everybody. Yeah. Everybody well, in this movie said so that. He was actually on his way to New York to go audition somebody else and go meet with her. Yeah. and. <laughs> So Burson is like, okay, well, you know, like, keep me posted. Mm -hmm. And he gives her a call from New York and he's like, you got the part. And he's like, oh, did you, uh, did you already meet with her? He said, no, I bumped into her at a deli and she looked like hell. Oh, God. <laughs> and she was like, well, that's not really fair. Like, you got to give her a chance. And he said, yeah, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> that is a nightmare to hear because I remember like early on living in LA, like hearing things like, you better never leave without your hair done and your lipstick yeah. on and being like, this is, that's such bullshit. Like, we can't live our lives this way. And well, yeah. Yeah. actually, she was it's like, I look true. like hell when I go to the deli. <laughs> and this sequence is crazy too because it's like, all that this serves is to show that she's an actress and to like see her on a movie set. And he chose to do probably the most expensive movie set sequence with a huge crowd and like director flying around on a big old crane. <laughs> like she gives this big impassioned speech to like these protesters. So all cheesy. I know, so funny. <laughs> yeah, it looks like the movie sucks ass that yeah. she's making. She movie. calls it a Disney version of a Ho Chi Minh. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't like what she's doing. Yeah. But she's obviously getting paid the big bucks because she has a full staff of mm -hmm. help. Yeah. And what I kind of like is in these opening sequences she's kind of mean at times she's just like a little bit of a diva a little bit but not really she comes home and she hears noises in the attic she tells her butler carl we have rats in the attic and he says but i just cleaned the attic and she goes well then they're clean rats and he's like i don't think there are and she's like i heard them they are she's well, kind of a jerk to that's carl. not even a jerk he didn't believe her why is he questioning her she's like there's rats in there go figure I think it it's out implying sir. that he you know was just he just cleaned yeah. it or he, yeah yeah she's yeah. criticized she's saying he's keeping a dirty she house she feels like a diva in this moment to me sure and carl gets shit on like, multiple times in the yeah. movie because she also blames <laughs> yeah, carl does. for the for the crucifix why that is she finds he why too. is why does burt call him a nazi bastard yes. it's like what <laughs> everybody's shitting on carl yeah. i say carl. justice for carl in this yeah. movie I think the I think Carl put the put the crucifix in the room. That's what Ellen Burstyn thinks, yeah. but I I think I, Carl's I believe Carl when he says I didn't fucking do it. Yeah. I think he would admit it. Carl knows not to talk. I think back like I think that. what would have been a great additional sequence at the end of the movie is if Carl came walking out after all was said and done and said, "Um, do you have something you want to say to me? Mm -hmm. I want an apology." <laughs> uh, yeah, that would have been a great added scene. What if it was Billy Bob Thornton from Sling Blade? Carl, there are rats in the attic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ain't no, ain't got no rats in it. Ain't nothing but some potted meat. <laughs> mm, got the devil in him. <laughs> Her vomit kind of looks like mustard. <laughs> and that priest face looks like a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> I like all these scenes though where you do kind of like see her hearing the noises like it does there's a handful of moments in this opening sequence where you just hear creepy sounds before somebody like enters a scene or like the lights will flash every now and then you're just getting like these little little glimmers of like something weird's going on but the characters themselves like sometimes don't even notice Friedkin talked about how um he's all about grace notes in his movies moments that don't have anything to do with the plot they're just kind of there for atmosphere, for tone, for vibe. Him. He's like, life is made of grace notes. Your memories that you have 
are not the memories of like what you were doing or what your goal was. It's the things that sort of were unexpected. It's the little grace notes. And so this movie's filled with, I mean, you could call the opening sequence a fucking grace note, honestly. And we get to meet Linda Blair. Uh, her name is Reagan. She's and cutie patootie. She's very cute. And I think she's really good. Yes. She's she so is. natural in all these opening scenes where she's like talking about the horse that she saw and stuff. Man, I feel bad for Linda Blair about kind of her, her career. Not because really. she got typecast. And she people got ty- would run out of the room screaming and crying when she entered. She had to have the studio paid for her to have a bodyguard for yeah. a minimum of six months after the movie came out because people so... were threatening to kill her. And for that to happen to a 14 year old. I yeah. know. Again, it's just another, it's like, it reminds me of Showgirls. It's just another example mm-hmm. of Hollywood and the world and audiences vilifying the female mm-hmm. lead. It's true. And the director is having the time of that their life. life. Yeah. Everyone else goes on to do great things, yeah. but then Linda Blair gets. You remember when we were growing up, VH1 would always do those like, I love the 70s, yeah, I, love I love the, the 80s, 70s. things I like that. I loved that series. Oh my God, I, I did watched too. every episode. But there, how I learned, that actually definitely is how I learned about The Exorcist probably, was her, like, and she was always on those. Yeah. And that's like when she told the story about like how people would run out crying and screaming. But like, that's where her career went. Yeah, she, and she basically she spent her whole do... career trying to reinvent her image and yeah. it just never took. Every yeah. role she did, nobody ever really, uh, they just thought it for And already as like a child actor too. So exactly, it's, like not, it's hard. Not easy. They're divorced. There's no father. Right. We definitely get the vibe that it's upsetting to Ellen Burstyn's character. He doesn't show up to Reagan's birthday party. Yeah, he like, sounds like a piece of shit. He doesn't even call his daughter on her birthday. I've seen interpretations of the movie that this is kind of like a pro-nuclear family movie because single mom, child who's frustrated because she doesn't have a father gets a father in these sort of surrogate priests who are fathers who come in to save the day mm. and and people use it as a criticism they say like it's a it's a conservative idea that this movie is selling i don't buy into that. I don't agree with that at all because I feel like Ellen Burstyn's such a fucking badass. Exactly. She's going all over town meeting every doctor that there is and then even goes to the priests and gets them to do a thing they would never even do. I 100% agree. I think this is a movie- She don't need no man. I think this is a movie about a strong mother protecting her daughter. Because one, yeah, the father sucks. Two, yeah, she's fighting everybody. The patriarchal system is telling her the whole movie that she's crazy, yeah. that her daughter is crazy. To me, the the idea of her going to the religious community for help, it's a tool. It's not like bringing in a father. It's not like she falls in love with Father Karras no, and they get yeah. married at the end of the movie. <laughs> if that happened, then maybe you could make that argument. But the, especially in the version, the theatrical version where she just like leaves and he dies, I don't interpret this as like uh, a girl without a father who gets a father in Mm-mm. God or whatever. To me, it's it's much more about the power of the mother. I agree. Agree. Okay, y'all like that take. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like you were just sharing other takes. (laughs) No, I was sharing I disagreed with the other takes in that. um, So yeah, then she she decides to investigate the attic. It's interesting. I don't remember this scene. Like, I feel like I remember every other scene about this movie, but the scene where she goes up into the attic to investigate the noises, which on paper and, you know, it's a well done scene. It's kind of a scene you would see in every horror. Yeah, it's a classic horror movie. Walking so, slowly yeah. through a dark, creepy thing and then like a little pop out thing happens mm-hmm. where like her flames. To me, it's like weirdly the most forgettable thing of the movie, even though by today's standards, you would like, it's a prerequisite. It was on. I would cut that scene before I would cut any of the Grace Notes scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a scene that comes pretty soon after this where uh, Ellen Burson is just walking down the street and she like sees some nuns and tubular bells is playing and she comes across 
Father Karras, and he's just having a conversation with other priests. And it's a grace note. You know, it's it's just atmosphere and tone, but I love it. And it's like weirdly burned into my brain in a way that this attic sequence is never, ever burned in. Mm-hmm. But yet it's supposed to be like scary. Yeah. So Reagan finds a Ouija board. She presents the, that she's been speaking to this character named Captain Howdy. You really don't want me to play, huh? No, I do. Captain Howdy said no. Captain who? Captain Howdy. Who's Captain Howdy? You know, I make the questions and he does the answers. Oh, Captain Howdy, yeah, I see. Nice. Oh, I bet he is. Here, I'll show you. Captain Howdy, do you think my mom's pretty? Captain Howdy? Captain Howdy, that isn't very nice. Captain Howdy. That would be my number one nightmare if I we have a kid and they come in the and they're like i've been talking to a ghost which after we watched this movie a bunch of my tiktoks started being that of like kids parents like filming their kids being like there's a ghost in there or like telling stories about that i don't know what i do i don't know what i do i would i would do the thing that you where you prove there's not you know you say well let's see yeah but i would also want to get somebody over here to sage the house and dispel it of demons we could do that maybe separately if you really needed that to happen honestly if if the kid came up with a name like captain howdy that's a truly creepy ass name yeah why did you say like a children's cartoon like an old children's cartoon hero or something yeah in any other context it's not bad but in the context of i've talked to captain howdy with a ouija board it's kind of the creepiest thing she could have possibly Mm -hmm. said and then it begs the question of like okay if that is pazuzu it is. Then Pazuzu came up with that name. Hello, Reagan. I'm Captain Howdy. Something. Don't you want to play with me? Something to, you know, make her feel I think, yeah, it wouldn't be creepy. I think it'd be like, yeah. hi, Reagan. Mm-hmm. I'm Captain Howdy. Hey, y'all. It's me, Captain Howdy. Howdy, y'all. Howdy, y'all. Howdy. I guess it does go back to your question of like, what brought this on? Was it the Ouija board that I brought it on? I feel like it, it was the Ouija board, right? Because the my Ouija argument board is that it's is... the cross. That it's the that. But the... the Ouija board did before we see the cross. We see the Ouija board, and it does move. He's so there. The true the spirit story is there. that William Peter Blatty based the novel off of involved mm-hmm. a boy who was fucking around with a Ouija board, and that is why I will never, mm-hmm. ever, 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 <laughs> ever allow a Ouija board mm-hmm. in my house or ever play with the one. Ouija board. Is part of the story of what happened mm-hmm. to the boy that this whole story is based off. Ouija of. boards so are evil. I think. Reagan implies she's been fucking around with this thing for a while. Yeah, playing in the basement by herself. Talking well, to yeah. someone named Captain I Howdy. Do th- and I don't deny that either. I think that that is also happening as well. But I think when it comes to th- to elements like this in movies, where there is no, there's no proof to your theory and there's no proof to my theory. It's left... Well, we can't ask Friedkin anymore. <laughs> but if we could, I know what he would say. Yeah. We're left purposely. Let's get a Ouija board. Yeah. <laughs> you, you might not agree with it. To me, it makes it more interesting. I think it's interesting sure, that sure. that had the possibility that had she not brought Jesus into her house, she would not have gotten possessed. But she was bringing the mom, was bringing the priests into the house I think that, all this too. Think, She's like buddying up with priests. I think all of those are less interesting than what I think the movie is essentially doing, which is not making it clear. Yeah. Yes. So I think your... Choosing something that freaking would not have said was his intention, and you're adding something well, that's interesting know. to you. You're but adding that's something like that's what's int- fun about the movie. Yeah. is that everybody can add their freaking would support each of us having our own interpretation yeah. of the movie. He doesn't give a shit what we think. He likes. <laughs> he just her- wants our dollar yeah. Yeah. fucking no. bills. He, no, want- he wants us to have this conversation. William yes. Peter yes. Blatty really wants you to come out of the movie feeling like 
God the is the way. God is the way and that the devil lost. He yeah. did, so all the changes that he makes at the end of the movie that he convinced War Friedkin down to do yeah. was just to make William Peter Blatty happy. Yes. Friedkin didn't believe in the changes in most of the mm-hmm. changes. Yes. He hates the ending. He thinks it doesn't make sense. He did it for his buddy. Yeah. You know how sometimes mm-hmm. you and I compromise and yeah. do things for each other yeah. we don't want to do. And then we meet Jason Miller, Father Karras. Ooh, let's talk about him. Original hot priest, I would say. Yeah, he's pretty attractive. He looks, he looks like Rocky. Yeah, because we meet him uh, when he's in his all in his full grays. Uh-huh. I guess we don't meet him then, but, but we get to he gets see him he, in he gets there, his grays. Yeah. I will. I sometimes will dress in all gray, <laughs> pop my headphones in, cue up tubular bells, and run for thirty minutes around the neighborhood. Are you being serious? <laughs> I don't get in all gray, but I do sometimes listen to tubular bells while you're run. running. Mm-hmm. You are a freak. I swear. Try it, folks. <laughs> You'll get a solid twenty-five minute run in. It's a great tune, Mike Oldfield. You're just a different type of human that i am all this music is great just put on a mike oldfield album yeah we used to put it on uh, we used to put on tubular bells and listen to while we played settlers of Catan. (laughs) (laughs) and that's good Catan music too Uh he's a priest psychiatrist which i think is interesting he's basically like the psychiatric therapist for the priests in his church but he's losing his faith we see that he's taking care of his mom who is old demi Demi, <laughs> why you leave me, Demi? Speaking of Kubrick, that it was originally they tried to get Jack Nicholson, which yeah. mm-hmm. feels so wrong. Wrong. Yeah. yeah. This movie is a series of ultimately good yeah. choices that make a movie that like ages like fine wine. Man, I feel bad for Stacy Keach. Oh yeah. So that's <gasps> the know. other big thing of this is he was actually cast. It wasn't even just like offered and he turned it down. Contract signed. Contract signed. <sighs> yeah. Cast and then. Um, William Friedkin heard about this play that was written by Jason Miller, who was only a playwright at the time. He'd never acted before. The play was called Our Winning Season or something like that. Our Championship Season. He went and saw it. He realized the play was kind of about Catholicism and faith and religion. So he was like, oh, I want to meet this, this playwright and just talk to him about it since I'm kind of in this world. He talked to Jason Miller. Jason Miller had never read The Exorcist. In the process, he told him about the book. Jason Miller went, read the book, and had the same reaction as Ellen Burstyn, where he read that character of Father Karras, and he was like, I am this guy. So he called William Friedkin, and he was like, you have to let me screen test for this. And William Friedkin was like, we've already cast the part. It's Stacey Keaches. And you're not a fucking actor. <laughs> and he was like, I don't care. You ha- I, like, I feel so crazy. I feel so pulled to this that you have to at least let me screen test. So he was like... I just kind of gave into this guy's charm. Yeah, you're flying out here on your own. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you can get here, yeah. I'll fucking put a camera on you, and you can mm-hmm. do it. And he said, and "I'll give you the, I'll give you the real." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, can, you can show it to your kids. Yeah. Uh, but he was like, he blew me away in the screen test, oh, and then he called the studio, and he was like. We got to cast this guy. One of the executives was like over my dead body and literally got down on the floor yeah. and held Freakin's <laughs> leg and was like, you have to literally like, Try to step, step over, me. over my dead body. <laughs> it's such a truly on the side of the executives fr- uh, from what they know and yes. what they understand. They're, they think they he's are, insane. Yeah, he's insane. Think he's lost his mind. <laughs> but he made the right choice. And they yeah. had to pay Stacey Keach's yeah. full salary mm-hmm. just to walk away from this movie. Oh, that would hurt. It's like Especially great seeing to have how the money, successful. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Stacey Keach would go on to do another William Peter Blatty movie, The Ninth Configuration, mm-hmm. which is really, really good. If anybody, it's a weird movie, but it's if you like Shutter Island, it's so clearly an influence on Shutter Island. 
Island. Ooh. So if you're interested in that movie, go back and watch The Ninth Configuration because I think you'll like it. William Peter Blatty desperately wanted to play the part of Father Karras. Mm-hmm. He Who's wrote that? It. Who's William? Oh, the, that's the, wrote, the writer. The man who wrote yeah, the yeah. novel. And the oh, movie. Oh, God. And the movie, yeah. He was actually willing to give up his entire percentage of the film in order to play <sighs> Father Karras. And William Friedkin was just like, I don't it's see so you, It's so hard to be an actor. He's a writer. I know, a but he wanted one. to, but he, his probably true dream in life was to be an actor. Sounds like well, it. Friedkin did him a favor, I guess. Damn. I'm sure probably what he did was he saw Friedkin out, like, giving the parts to anybody who came up to him and told him, like, I want to yeah. play the part. Ooh, and he was I like, can do that too. I was, <laughs> he was like, um, I was born to play this part. I was kind of thinking I could I play I literally this. wrote it after <laughs> myself. Oh, and he did it again too. The priest, so the other priest in this movie, his name is Father Dyer. Um, he was initially hired on to be a consultant, just like a Jesuit consultant to make sure that they were doing all the religious stuff right. But Friedkin kind of like took a shine to him and was like, do you want to play this part? My main idea of heaven is I'm headlining at a nightclub and everybody loves me. Yeah. I kind of love all those scenes. There's like a scene too. Like, so eventually Father Karras' mother dies. And so his guilt gets real extreme. And there's like these scenes where he's like getting drunk in his apartment mm-hmm. and Father Dyer has to come over and like sit and cry with him. And it was like, it's interesting to see priests depicted like this in movies, you know? They're just like us. <laughs> just like just us. Just like us. So yeah, then we get this great party sequence. We've got a guest. You're gonna die up there. Pisses on the carpet. Long and, pee too long. And they all just stare and watch her pissing for so long. This actually just flashed to me. This was one of the things I remember knowing about the movie before I ever saw it was that there mm-hmm. was a scene in which she peed on the floor. And I remember that in my mind feeling really scary. Mm-hmm. That someone would do that. Yeah. yeah. That's a creepy scene. Mm-hmm. By the way, unfortunate stuff about Father Dyer. Wait, which one's Father Dyer? Party priest? Party priest. Piano oh, priest. Oh, he's bad guy? He was accused in 2019 of sexually assaulting a 17-year-old student in the 80s. No. What priest hasn't? Yeah. But he's- To he's, be expected. Wait, he's a real priest? Yeah, he's a real mm-hmm. priest. I missed you saying that. Yeah. I must have blanked out. Real Sorry. Mm. Wow, that's a bummer to hear. His name is William O'Malley. Uh, now, I have to say- he was accused. He was never officially. Mm, yeah, because he's a priest. Because they protected him and then he did die. He actually died last month. Well, mm. um, so. Too bad, so sad. Rest in hell. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> There's a cool dream sequence. I kind of like this dream sequence where where Jason Miller sees his, his dead mother standing atop this like uh, subway station staircase. And then this is where you get the flash of Captain Howdy's face. Mm-hmm. It is pretty scary. It's a, it's like an iconic image of the movie. Scare. Red eyes and like sharky teeth. Mm-hmm. That was from a makeup test they yeah. did before they landed on Reagan's. That's what Reagan was supposed to look like. Yeah. Well, was maybe going to look Whoa. like. Reagan was like, this looks awful. Yeah. So he didn't they use just it. Don't work. But then one of the editors was like, well, when you do only one or two frames of it, it looks kind of cool. It looked really scary. Yeah. And then I decided to throw it in. 30 years later, yeah. put it all over the movie. Like, uh-huh. that was, that's too much. In the version you've never seen, he's like putting it like on the stove top and stuff. Like he's, he's putting it in too many places in the version you've never seen. <laughs> yeah. Hospital sequence stuff is really intense. So like the Reagan, they decide to take her in for some tests 
And I think this is the stuff that was actually sending people out of the theaters. Oh, people, God. The putting the needle in the neck? Arteriogram is what that's called. Because she's like, shit, there's like. Oh, she's awake and she's crying the whole time. Oh, awful. Yeah, they stick this long needle in her neck. And when they pull the tube out, like blood starts squirting. And Scary. from the reports, this was when like a lot of people would faint and pass out and leave the theater and throw up was this, which is crazy that it's. It's the medical Before system, you're folks. Even seeing her, yeah, that's the scariest shit of this movie. And the noise, the sound design of the sequence is yeah. really cool yeah, too. Yeah, that's really. They creepy. put her through all these machines, and it's just like you can't even hear her screaming. It's so loud. Have you, you ever had an MRI done? Yeah, of course, multiple times. Like for laying my in the tube. Oh yeah. yeah. Is it scary? I lay in the tube. I listen to tubular bells. <laughs> I feel like I would have a panic attack, and it's not even like yeah, they because it's la- you, a sound like that, right? They ask you if you're claustrophobic. I am. They give you uh, earplugs, and they give you a little buzzer if you freak out. But you just have to close your eyes to never see yourself going in. Once <sighs> you go, I mean, it's this close to you, and you go deep inside, and oh you my God. cannot physically get out. I feel like I'm yeah. having a panic attack here. Yeah, it'll be this. scary, and you have yeah. to sit still, right? You have to I sit wouldn't still. be more so worried about ruining this because game. it messes yeah. up if you don't. Yeah, I'm claustrophobic, so again, I'm it's literally like, getting panicky. You talking about it? If you lay down and you close your eyes and you never open them the whole you, time, the whole time, and you just breathe in, you'll be fine. I did take a peek one time. <laughs> What'd you was, see? I saw lasers. Terror. How and... close is the the thing? To Very you? close. Yeah. Did you have a panic? No, I started to feel my heart beat faster. So then I just closed. Was it my scanning eyes. your whole body, or was it just doing your back? Just the back. Yeah. Did you get to see the I results? Pray I don't have to get in one. Yeah. Could you see your guts? No, just my spine. Okay, just bones. Mm-hmm. Was it fuck the high hell? Yeah, it was like Clint Eastwood's. <laughs> Bazuzu was in there. Yeah, it was like. Uh... <laughs> Max von Sydow's face. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Interesting thing about this hospital stuff. There's a technician in here. Mm. Bearded (gasps) technician. This is the craziest thing you have ever said. Mm -hmm. Uh, He gets gets some lines in the movie too, but you just see him sort of like working. Uh, This man was an actual radiologist technician at the hospital. His name was Paul Bateson. He was there for like the walkthroughs and the location scouts and William Friedkin had him come on and, you know, he just wanted real people to be doing these these roles um a few years after this movie this guy would end up getting arrested for murdering a film critic or journalist film critic yeah and then while in prison he admitted to a series of other murders that were called the bag murders which were a series of murders of gay men throughout new york in like the the underground gay scene and it would originally or i'm sorry it would eventually become the basis for another william friedkin movie called cruising with Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. That is so insane. Yeah. And that's another movie. That's a movie that we should talk about on the podcast at some point, too, because there's a whole lot of backstory on that movie, too. And I really like Cruz, and I think it's great. Even though William Freakin hates Al Pacino after the experience from mm-hmm. it. That's why he doesn't give a flying fuck. Yeah. Oh, wow. I can't wait to hear him talk about Pacino. <laughs> In his book, he talks about it, and he's like, he was so concerned with his hair. Everything was about his hair. He's a hair actor. <laughs> I told you I saw him. Oh, I said that. I you guess said it on another yeah. pod. God, but his, the listeners, the freaking voice is so funny. It's like just because it's so Chicago. Yeah, pissed off Midwest <laughs> dad, old man. <laughs> but he's really eloquent too. Yeah. Like he knows he knows he's how to tell a, a story. fucking smart guy. Yeah. I mean, the amount of like 
paintings that he, and music oh, yeah. that he references yeah. is unbelievable. He's in love with classical art, classical paintings, classical music. He directs operas, or he did. I heard he would get the opera to perform better by firing a shotgun at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we could just talk about that. There's, there's a moment in the movie where Father Karras is listening to some recordings of Reagan, and it's kind of this creepy sequence, and then the phone rings, and it scares him. And the way William Friedkin did that was he loaded a shotgun with blank, or he loaded a rifle with blanks, didn't tell anybody, and as they were rolling, fired a blank in order to get that scared reaction from Jason Miller. Jason Miller said, God, Friedkin, you're lucky you didn't blow my head off. And Friedkin apparently said, don't worry, we got Jack Nicholson waiting in the, in the wings. <laughs> well, that's just a funny comeback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we should just talk about that a little bit, because I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but a lot of people, like a lot of up and coming directors think that that is a tactic to do of like, I'm going to not tell the actors an aspect of this that I'm going to catch them off guard with because it'll give me a more legitimate performance. And I'm here to tell you guys that Bad. it ain't ever going to work because more often than not, all that's going to do is ruin the take because people don't stay in character when they get surprised. <laughs> but what about like showing your dick? Like sitting in your director's that's chair and fine. your butt naked. Uh-huh. Okay. And then someone opens the door and they see your dick. Is that okay? Full dick or Full just like dick, the tip? Yeah. Yes. What if you're sitting in your director's chair with your dick out and you have a shotgun and you blow the mm. shotgun when they go? Fine. I mean, that's just standard practice. Um, and part of me doesn't even necessarily believe that the takes we're seeing in the movie are the shotgun takes. It doesn't really look to me like somebody who's genuinely afraid of a shotgun. Yeah, you're just doing that for yourself as a director. And the actors are like, you know, multiple actors are telling him, like, you're taking away our job from us. Like, we don't need a shotgun (laughs) to do this. Just let us do it. And you're more likely to get the actor to look right into the camera because they're like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Yeah. We got our first big possession sequence. Doctors come over. Reagan's getting tossed around on the bed. Cool effect. But did you hear that this effect injured Mm -hmm. Blair? What fucked up her back? Fucked up her back. Yeah, there's this. There's I a, love a good backstory. <laughs> there's a moment where she's literally just going up and down, up and down, getting slammed back and forth. But yeah, and it's really creepy looking. Yeah, very. Well, they, they like made a metal brace, a mold of her ba- back that then was corseted around her, and then as she was like going up and down with it, it separated. So she was moving in one way and the metal was moving in another way. So she just kept, oh it was flinging God. her, but then like randomly banging into her. And apparently she was scr- never broke character, but was screaming for help both as the character and like, help me make it stop. Yeah. She's actually asking for it oh, to stop. God. It's not yeah. good. <laughs> This is a shit show. Bit of a shit show at times, yeah. Yeah. Bit of a shit show. I feel like a lot of horror movies that were made around this time like were cursed with shit. And this one is known as being cursed because the set burned down. Everything except her room. What? Well, in one documentary I saw, they were like, oh, we have no clue why it happened. And then in something else, I saw that a bird flew into the breaker box. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That does feel like God doing something there. Because that was the thing. It was like, does God not want us to make this movie? Mm -hmm. Uh, At one point, too, the sprinklers just randomly went off and Mm -hmm. flooded the whole set. Was Jim Caviezel a consultant on this movie, (laughs) too? (laughs) We got to bring in the only man who's been struck by lightning. Yeah. (laughs) And then I love all these scenes of Ellen Burstyn talking to the doctors. They were 
making me laugh mostly just because they were good. Yeah. But also I love that they're just sort of like, they keep being like, we're still thinking it's the temporal lobe. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? She was floating in the bed. What was going on in there? How could she fly off the bed like that? Pathological states can induce abnormal strength, accelerated motor performance. And for example, say a 90 pound woman sees her child pinned under the wheel of a truck runs out and lifts the wheels a half a foot up off the ground. You've heard the story. Same thing here. Same principle, I mean. So what's wrong with her? We still think the temporal lobe. Oh, what are you talking about, for Christ's sakes? Did you see her or not? She's acting like she's fucking out of her mind, psychotic, like a, what you, a split personality or and it's interesting that they're actually the ones who are like, have you considered seeing an exorcist about this? You want me to see a witch doctor? <laughs> yeah. And then we get introduced to, I think, maybe my favorite character in the movie, Lee J. Cobbs, Lieutenant Kinderman. I just love this guy. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love his funny. line deliveries. I love the way he talks. I love that he loves movies. Mm -hmm. I love to talk film. You know, discuss, critique. It's great. And yeah, he he's on the case now because um, what you don't see it happens off camera is that Burke, the director, is found at the bottom of the staircase outside with his head turned clean around. And everybody kind of assumes it's like a drunken accident. But Lieutenant Kinderman feels like that ain't a no accident. You know, your head don't get turned completely around. Yeah, there's a small chance. Yeah. Also, too, what we what we see in the sequence is that there's been a desecration in the church. Oh yeah, that was a creepy part. Which is a pretty disturbing image. You're seeing this like priest going and like putting flowers around the church and he kind of rounds this corner and he sees the statue of the Virgin Mary and it's got these like huge pointy tits and a big pointy dick like. Bloody, so, bloody, all of them are bloody. Too. So I looked into this because I was kind of like, what is that? You know, in the book, it explains that it was Reagan that did that. And that the the tits and the dick are the clay. Because you know how she makes those clay? The, the movie oh, shows that she's like a yeah, little yeah, yeah, yeah. artist with clay. She makes these little clay figurines. So she snuck in there? Yeah. As the devil or as Reagan? Well, obviously, once the devil's been starting to kind of possess her, she yeah. snuck in there and did it. Um, but that kind of goes a little ways of backing up my theory that she's been secretly interacting with the church. Thank or you. the devil's been secretly <laughs> interacting with her. Yeah, but what what chicken or the egg? Which happened okay, first? Okay, keep going. Uh, and then this eventually sends him to go talk to Ellen Burstyn. Within the scene, too, you see him pick up one of the little clay dolls. And if, you know, they don't say it in the movie, but if he knows that the desecration was done with clay, that's yeah, another piece of evidence yeah, that he's putting together that it mm -hmm. could be Reagan. And I love the scene between With, him oh, and Ellen Burstyn. So good. He's like totally Columboing her because mm -hmm. he's acting totally chill. He's not given any implication uh -huh. that like she's done anything wrong or that he's really even investigating Reagan. But he's dropping little hints, you know, like whoever did this must have been a pretty strong person. Strong man. Strong man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you see on her face, she oh, knows. She's like, putting the pieces yeah. together Boy. like, this is definitely my daughter. My daughter, daughter twisted his neck <laughs> plumb around, plumb shoved around. him out the window. And it's just a great scene where like he's acting 
amazingly and she's acting amazingly. He's being totally charming and she's selling it all through like her face and eyes because she's responding like second cup of coffee. Yes. So funny. Clearly saying a line to like get somebody out of the house of like, well, can I offer you another cup of coffee? Should I have offered? And he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll take one. The look on her face though is just like, oh, we all been there. And then the greatest is is like, Mm -hmm. before I go, Uh, one more thing. Could I get an autograph? That's so (laughs) funny. It's for my daughter. And she's like, sure. And then as she's, she's like, who should I make it out to? And he goes, I lied. It's for me. <laughs> Which I just fucking love because one, I think he legitimately wants the autograph because I think he so does. Too. He I feel like movies. that's a win for her. She's like, okay, I can get this motherfucker. But I also pocket. think he's trying to maybe make her feel good. You know, he's trying to loosen her up. I a little think bit. too, it's for us. It's for the audience. It's like, imagine how heavy this movie is yeah. for them. And this is this character is also a subtle reminder mm-hmm. that you're watching a movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. by yeah. making him a film buff, film yeah. lover. You're kind of subconsciously reminded you're just, you're it's okay. Yeah. You're watching a flick. And if anything, this is the scene that you could call levity mm-hmm. in this movie. Like this movie is relatively humorless. Like there's no jokes really. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the closest the movie gets to being funny. And I'm sure if you watch this in a theater, I've never seen this in a movie theater with a crowd, but I guarantee you by this point in the movie, people are laughing at this scene. Mm-hmm. They're probably cracking up. Interestingly, Tarantino has given interviews about The Exorcist. He's screened it a couple of times as a new Beverly. He loves the movie and he says it plays like gangbusters. And he said that- trying to go see it. He started thinking to himself, like, I really want to make a horror movie like this, but like in this style, this sort of slow tone because it's so well done. He's like, I think it would be fun. But he said that he ended up convincing himself that he couldn't do it because he's like, I personally, with my- sense of humor, I would not be able to sustain this single note of dread that the movie so perfectly pulls off. He was like, I just know I would biff it up because I would put humor in it. I would put mm. jokes in it. Do you think Friedkin would show Tarantino more respect than Nicholas Winding Refn? I think so, yeah. <laughs> well, the problem with those Refn interviews is he's setting himself up to get yeah. dunked on. 30 seconds. Well, no. <laughs> Drive is a masterpiece. 30 seconds. <laughs> We're not going to know for another 30 years. <laughs> 30 seconds. Did you watch that interview I see where he calls yeah, him David? Hilarious. David? <laughs> How many Davids are in the audience? It's uh, great. He's talking to William Friedkin and he's like, they're talking about film versus digital and like how people watch things on cell phones and Nicholas Winding Refn goes, you know, and I disagree with David. I think that, and William Friedkin goes, who's David? And he goes, <laughs> David Lynch. And he's like, David? Why did you, could you just call him David? He like looks to the audience. He's like, he thinks he can just say David. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my God, I love him. And then right after Lee J. Cobb leaves is where we get the, the craziest fucking scene. She hears a screen. She runs up the stairs. She bursts in. Oh. Ellen bursts mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. That wow. was good. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Yeah. Um. And Reagan is masturbating. It's actually an understatement to say she's masturbating. She is stabbing herself yeah, in the vagina yeah. with a crucifix. Not look There's blood pleasurable. everywhere. She's screaming, let Jesus fuck you. Which goes back to my theory. Huh. That is Pazuzu. Let Jesus in. And sometimes they are Jack, being forced. Are they, the characters are being forced 
In this scenario, they're being forced to accept Jesus into their lives, to believe in him. And you know who's doing it? The devil. The, the, audience, devil and, the yeah. audience right now is stuck in traffic. The last thing they want <laughs> is to be stuck in this theory of yours. <laughs> Help them out. Man, have mercy on their fucking soul, Jack. Please, have it on ours as well. <laughs> and you don't wait, say, okay, have Corey, we talked no, about- I know we, Justin's never going to get- Corey, you don't see what I'm saying there? I think it's a cool theory. Thank you. That's all I needed. Anyway, Corey's <laughs> winking at me. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, she doesn't believe him. Um, they looked at hundreds of little girls for this part. They were all actors. She had never, she'd done some modeling, but she'd never actually acted in anything. And she essentially just walked in off the street with her mom. Like they didn't have an appointment. She got to meet William Friedkin. And the way he puts it is he was like, what is this movie about? And she was like, well, it's about a little girl who gets possessed by the devil. And then she does bad things. And he was like, what kind of bad things does she do? And she said, well, she curses and she hits her mom and she throws this guy out of a window and kills him. <laughs> and she masturbates with the crucifix. And he's like, okay, that's that sounds pretty correct. Do you know what masturbation is? Ugh, and she said- I don't want him having this conversation with her. Well, it's, well, not, he, it's the first of many creepy conversations uh, he has yeah. with her. Well, the way he says it, he's like, I need to, one, I need to make sure that the person who I cast for this kind of has their right head around this material, that it's not going to disturb them. And two, that they can like sustain the energy of what it's going to put them through. Mm -hmm. So he was like, the last thing I wanted to do was like fuck up a kid. Mm -hmm. He sure did not fuck her up. <laughs> <laughs> he said, um, do you know what masturbation is? And she says, of course, it's like jerking off, right? And he said, is that something that you do? And she oh, said, oh, why is he asking that? And I she says, this. of course, don't you? And he was like, when well, right then and there, I knew she was the right person to cast. That she is might a have also creepy, been 12, creepy story. not 14. With she was 13 when the movie came out. She was oh, born okay. in 59. You don't, wow. that's a conversation you'd have with their parents or something. I don't know. Some creepy old man does not need to be asking a little well, girl, do you masturbate? He wasn't an old man at that point. <laughs> okay, older, whatever. Guy. Older guy. <laughs> yeah. An adult man asking a little girl, do you masturbate? Is, that never needs to be this, asked. Well, but how do you do it in a scene where she has to masturbate herself with something and say, let Jesus fuck you? Did you hear the, 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 verbatim clips of him saying how he would tickle her to get yes. her to masturbate. Yeah. <sighs> God. Oh, yes, you are. I'm not going to do it. Oh, yes, you are. Yeah. And he would tickle her to to, to disarm her, I right. guess, into, uh, into masturbating. But you do also have to consider Linda Blair's, you know, the way she looks at it. She doesn't look at it as anything. Sure. You know, she she came out the other end of it saying, like, I, I credit him for my performance as he was able to, like, Talk to me in a way. But that she is on camera it. saying she has she had no clue what masturbation yes. was. Back yeah. Well, but which is interesting because his story about the yeah. The, they're so who do they're I believe? Different. Probably not. His uh, story, the, to old, be honest. the old white man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, look this. The when you make this movie today, you get intimacy coordinators all over this thing, and you get you. I'm sure there's one. You probably just like wouldn't. We'll no. see. This movie, by the way, is about there's about to be a new Exorcist that's coming out soon. Which I know, but the trailer is good. The trailer is <laughs> It's called Exorcist good. the Believer, uh -huh. I believe. Uh -huh. And uh David Gordon Green is the director of it. Um very interested to see how they if they come close to any of that territory. I'll say that is still shocking. That Extremely. sequence. Extremely. I, I looked away. That was the one scene in the movie that I covered my well, eyes. Well, I, I never remember the blood. Yeah. yeah. It's like the masturbating you remember, but you don't remember no, that mm -hmm. there's blood and then she shoves her mom's face. Face in the blood. Into her yeah. What's also interesting too is I didn't read anything in my research that implied that they had any troubles with the MPAA on this movie. Neither did I. Which is nuts. Shocking. Yeah, like I've seen the movies with asleep. far less, but exactly. maybe because it's all. I think it's so... because Warner Brothers is a huge company, and they had they 
spent a lot of money on the movie. There's not really that much you can ask them to. It's disturbing, but yeah, there's not very much, much blood. Yeah, I mean, I'm just surprised bit. they allowed the scene. Yeah, um, you know, just yeah. the concept of, of of what happens in that scene yeah. with is a something, crucifix. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. Then smacks her across the room. She goes flying <laughs> into the floor. Uh-oh. And the reaction on Ellen Burstyn's face her back. is that of somebody who actually just fucking snapped their spine. She actually broke her back? So I don't know if she broke it, but she has a serious injury. That she had a serious injury that still affects her to this day. So yeah, oh. I'm going to say she probably broke She probably broke it. She didn't go to the hospital. I don't know if she broke it, but yeah, severely injured. And the way she tells it is that they did the, the way it was done is the, the special effects people rigged a wire to her. She was harnessed underneath her clothes and there was a wire and they were pulling her and they did it a few times. And William Friedkin kept saying, you got to pull her harder. She needs to fall harder. And she went up to him and said, if they pull me harder, I'm going to hurt myself. And the special effects guy came up to it and said, what do you want us to do? And William Friedkin apparently said, "Okay, fine. Just let's just do it one more time. But then as she walked away, she said she could feel them motion to he each winked. other. He winked. No. He winked. She could he feel like, that they made some sort of, mm-hmm. a, of a nod to each other. And on that last take, Fuck off. he pulled her. She flew off of her feet. She hit the ground. She actually hurt her back. Ugh, and, he, and she said she could feel Friedkin motion to the cameraman to like, Capture the capture the thing, and she started screaming like, "Turn the fucking camera off!" She was pissed. That's sadistic. I, so I mean, that's yes. sadistic. It's bad. It's bad. You move. bad form. Intentionally sabotaged. Yeah, mm-hmm. You didn't listen to what your actress said. Yeah. You intentionally hurt her, and while she you kicked her, and she was down on the ground. You're like, you film got it. The sh- yeah, Ugh. the shot. Ugh. And again, it's there are ways you can get what you need. By communicating with everybody. Yes. It's another reason why you don't or get, a stunt, per, get a, yeah, stunt a stunt person. Yeah, a stunt person. When we, every time we've talked about this, like a uh, actor hurting themselves or something, I literally have a flashback to when we were shooting Boss Babes and I mm-hmm. threw myself into that table. And I feel like I'm so you're very, lucky, you are very lucky I did not like <laughs> permanently lucky, yeah. damage myself. Yeah. And I would never, ever, knowing everything about Justin's back and everything we've heard about these actors ever do that again and then her head spins for the first time it actually happens twice i forget that it happens twice in the movie mm-hmm. i um, like this one better yeah this is the best one this mm-hmm. is the definitely the most like because the second time it happens is kind of during the midst of the actual exorcism and it sort of feels like he's just throwing spaghetti at the wall trying to figure yeah. out any way uh, to freak them out you? yeah okay how about this yeah <laughs> but this one feels like a legitimate one. also it's more like her face yeah so it's even creepier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. It almost feels like she's quoting a movie or something because she does like an impression of somebody mm-hmm. who's like, "Do you know what? Do she you know did? what she did? Your, your cunting daughter." daughter. Wow. It's so intense. Is it Burke? Is he is he imitating? Burke? Yeah, it kind of sounds like she's doing somebody, but it's like a scene we didn't see. And the furniture starts attacking her too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop there. It turns nope. into fucking yeah. poltergeist, and the cabinet starts like walking over, <laughs> attacking <laughs> Ellen Person. It's great. I mean, it's a tour de force. So good. And this had to have been another sequence where people passed out and threw up and ran out of the the, the fucking. The documentaries are great because you see people like shaking and being like, I can't, I can't go back in there. I can't go back in there. And people being like, did you see her throw up? And they're like, I didn't even fucking get to that part. I don't ever want to see it. Wusses. <laughs> Pussy. <laughs> um, another reading of this movie also is that it's a puberty allegory. <laughs> I agree with it. Uh, we know you do. Your body starts changing. <laughs> your voice changes. Your mood gets weird. You start to sure, become interested sure. in sex. You lose your purity technically. 
Um, I think especially for girls too, the pain and the blood and all that it stuff. It is painful I mean, and it is bloody. So I don't disagree with the puberty allegory of it. I think it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is when Burson's like, okay, I'm going to go gonna go talk to a priest. She talks to Father Karras. I really like that Father Karras is, is like, exorcisms are barbaric. Like, you do I love not this want scene between the two of them. You do not want to do an exorcism. Like he's like they're just they're gonna make things worse, which is probably true. I'm yeah. sure it's true. I'm sure that's based on reality. Um, but Karis does agree to see her, and then we get a good scene where he comes in, and she's kind of full blown possessed at this point. She's looking. She's got the slashes on her face, which Friedkin um, said were it's supposed to be that she what she was doing to her vagina, she was also doing to her face. She was using the mm. crucifix to slash herself and that's what these cuts are that have become like gangrenous. In his mind, her whole look is supposed to be like real, like a not necessary I mean obviously her eyes turning into different colored stuff that's supernatural, but I think the goal was to make it look like she is sick and gangrenous and infected, not necessarily like you know, uh, vampire yeah. demon coming through her face kind of thing. It's supposed to just be like, this is what happens when you don't treat wounds. Mm-hmm. And they can't get a doctor to go in there. She'll bite, they'll, she'll bite their stethoscope in half. They've tied her up to the bed too. I like too that they've wrapped like pillows and like cushions around the bedposts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fun detail and it looks cool too. The puke is so gross. Puke is awesome. It's so green. It's almost neon. Yeah. Looks like it's glow in the dark. We love puke. We love puke. Love puke. We put puke in almost everything. You've also do. had me puke up literally pea soup before, just the same color as that. In that 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 short that you did where it was all one take, and I'm like drunk, oh, passed right. out in the kitchen, and I run out as like a sorority girl. Senior slasher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I and I had to do it like five times, and it was the most disgusting shit I've ever had in my mouth. And we've mm-hmm. literally done an exorcist homage. We did a short called The Exorcitters. Mm-hmm. Um, and you we- also did... My girlfriend, leave my girlfriend or whatever it's called. That was more even. Come on, Corey. Sorry. How do you not know these <laughs> titles? Your seven. Leave my girlfriend shorts. outside. <laughs> leave the girlfriend outside. <laughs> You've made a thousand things. I'm doing my best here. Go check out the Exorcitters. It's on jackandjustin.com. Go check out the other one, the the senior slasher. Oh sure, check out senior slasher while you're there. It doesn't quite relate to the Exorcist quite as much as the I puke green. Do. But if you want to see Corey puke, I'm not green. in the Exorcist, so fuck that one. Go watch <laughs> me and Senior Slasher. And the special effects team queued up that split green soup. They tried to hit Jason in the chest, mm-hmm. and they got him in the face. They got him in the face. Really? He is pissed. <gasps> He's probably pissed not just because he has that disgusting shit in his face, but because he thinks Friedkin is behind him. I'm sure he, I'm like, sure he was. Another <laughs> fucking Friedkin troll. I'm sure Friedkin leaned over yeah. to Dick Smith and was That's like, true. get him in his Friedkin eye. probably, it wasn't enough for them to squirt the peas in his face. Friedkin yeah. probably also fired a shotgun at the same time, too. What an excellent day for an exorcism. But wouldn't that drive you out of Reagan? It would bring us together. You and Reagan. You and us. The voice that she does is done by an actress named Mercedes McCambridge. Mm -hmm. She was a radio uh, voiceover artist. She was also an actress, too, uh, in film and television. Wow. Um, She was pretty old at this time. She was a former alcoholic, but she had been on the wagon for a long time. Why do we need that? (laughs) Why do we need that? Well, because it's relevant. It's relevant. Oh, no. When um, he asked her to do it, she read the script and she said the only way, according to Freakin, this was all her idea. The only way I'm going to be able to channel this demon. Oh, my God. Is if I start drinking 
and I start smoking, and you tie me to a chair. No. And she's like, I'm going to have my two friends who are priests be in the room to monitor it. And you have to pay them. Her real you have to priest friends? Yeah, they were her real well, friends. Good for her getting her friends some jobs. And I'm going to eat, while we record, I'm going to eat raw eggs <gasps> and swig whiskey and smoke cigarettes. Why? This is and, too much method. And she's like not really sitting in the chair. She's like, she's like, I have to be strapped in the chair yeah. in a certain way. It's like, has she done this before? <laughs> what weird, sick games well, has she I played? I think what it is she's is I that- get the, the booze. I get the cigarettes. <laughs> the two raw eggs and, and like Floating above your seat, <laughs> yeah. it's like that's and and this and, woman freak- is lo- and to lose all of your sobriety, yeah, like, that's we don't the need craziest it. part. Yeah. I'm gonna go off the wagon for <sighs> this yeah. job. And then Friedkin describes like hearing audio of her like breathing out, like, <sighs> and Friedkin's like, you can hear the whiskey and you can hear the eggs. Yeah. It's like it was like we- creating three different tones of her voice. Egg- <laughs> <laughs> what do the I eggs it. do? I buy what it. do they do? <laughs> We should, I should go get three raw eggs. I won't even we be have able to whiskey. get them into my mouth. We'll There's run. We'll postmate some cigarettes, and we will all smoke and eat eggs and drink whiskey and see if by the end of the podcast we sound like Mercedes McCambridge. Oh, we'll sound worse. Friedkin claims that they agreed beforehand that she would not be credited for the film in order to preserve the performance After of Linda Blair. After she's doing all of that? But when the movie came out, she was not credited. Nobody talked about her, and she went to the press, and she said, they promised me a credit. It's not on there, and I'm furious. She says they never made the agreement. Friedkin says they made the agreement. I will say, she's dirty in her interviews, and she's dirty to Linda Blair, because according to Friedkin, he said she did not come out and say this until Linda Blair got her Oscar nomination, because she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. This movie got 10 nominations. Everybody. The movie got nominated, Friedkin got nominated, Jason Miller got nominated, Ellen Burson got nominated, Linda Blair got nominated. I'm pretty sure they didn't, Dick Smith did not get nominated, weirdly enough. You get, I'm sorry to be cruel, but you get nothing for doing the voice. You get nothing. I'm it's actually, Linda my hot, Blair. My hot, yes, she's doing she all the, the work. She, she Yes, but she, I think she should have gotten a credit. My a credit is take, different than an Oscar Well, nomination. of course, an Oscar. You can no. see the raw footage. Obviously, it makes a world of difference hearing her voice over it than Linda Blair's. It would well, not work course, with Linda Blair. And they never girl, intended yeah, for it to course, be Linda but Blair's. But Blair is the actor yes, who is yeah. sitting in day in and day out for hundreds of days doing this of course, work. Of course. She's coming in doing a voice. But you can't say Mercedes. You can't say Mercedes. Sadie McCambridge didn't go all out. She went all out, but <laughs> it's just a voice. It's not an, you don't get an Oscar uh, for best performance. I'm going to put that. a sound clip in for the, for the listeners to hear the difference between the two. And, you know, listeners have your takes or whatever. I would say that the voice makes, I'm going to say it it's definitely 60, does. She deserves the credit, but yeah. I'm going to say it's 40% of the performance. And I think that's a lot. What an excellent day for an exorcism. But wouldn't that drive you out of Reagan? It would bring us together. You and Reagan. You and us. What an excellent day for an exorcism. But wouldn't that drive you out of Reagan? It would bring us together. You and Reagan. You and us. There's no doubt that she does a great job give yes. her an award give her something but best I mean, voice yeah over. you don't you don't 
get to discredit and, Linda And Blair. the problem is, is that when she went to the press, she mm-hmm. was like, that no. little girl's performance would be nothing without my voice. It would have made people laugh their way out of the theaters. And well, that's the yes. booze and the eggs yeah. talking right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you're siding with Friedkin on this one. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. That's fair. Uh, but all, uh, SAG did step in and say that you need to credit her. So then they ended up re-releasing the movie a few months later with her credit added to the film. But when Mercedes McCambridge made her statement, then Eileen Dietz, who was the body double for Linda Blair, she's the one who is do- who is the face of Pazuzu in the prosthetic makeup tests. Mm-hmm. That I- is Eileen Dietz. Oh, face. she deserves an Oscar too. Well, she claims that a ma- she claims that over 50% of what you see in the movie is actually her, not Linda Blair. I think she's totally bullshit because you there are a couple of shots that are her. And William Freakin admits that. He's like, yeah, there's like maybe four shots in there that are of Eileen Dietz. And you can tell because it doesn't look like Linda Blair. It's The makeup is on, but it looks like a. sometimes I thought it was a prosthetic because it looked different. But you can see that the majority of it is Linda Blair. I think she was coming out trying to get a little bit of... Sweet, sweet action from yeah. that. And then Stacy Keach says that he deserves an Oscar. Yeah, for- you know, I haven't heard Stacy Keach complain at all, but yeah. also he got paid in full, baby. Mm-hmm. He was probably like, hey, free money. Yeah. <laughs> That's just like such an insane picture to imagine. Is this one being like, what's my next one? Oh, my what's God. My next one? Okay. One, two up. more eggs. Yeah. Two more eggs. Exactly. They, crack them. Crack them right in my mouth. Honestly, you if, fucking cocksucker. Crack those eggs in my mouth. If Ryan Murphy's listening, make a whole movie and make a whole series about the making of yeah, the Yeah, that would be great. Give all this behind the scenes shit. Be awesome. Yeah. Get a... a, a, a Jessica Lang. Get Jessica Lang. She'd probably kill it. Yeah, Lang she would, would be kill good. it. Lang would kill it. Wait, one more theory. What do you think would happen if they never got the priests involved and just left Reagan tied to a bed. What do you think ultimately the devil would, what would they do to Reagan? Kill her. Leave. Leave? Yeah. And Reagan would be fine? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think right. so. You didn't think that one through. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just, if, if my theory, if I'm going by my theory, you know, it's, it's all just to get, it's, it's. I guess, yeah. I think if Ellen Bernstein would have been like, or Chris, what her character name, would have been like, I'm taking my daughter to another city yeah. or whatever to find other doctors. Like, is the devil staying on the plane? Is the devil <laughs> like, I don't know. The devil's I don't like, know. I'm not, I'm not flying JetBlue. <laughs> um, th- yeah, no, I think if if cut to three months later, Ellen Burson's just feeding her freaking cracked out daughter and going like, I just wish her brain wasn't so messed up. I'm sure the devil's gonna be like, well, I'm getting the fuck out of here. They don't believe. And that's, I think, the point. It's the belief. Mm. What about you? What about you? Well, Father Karras asks him how long he's planning on staying in her. And he says until her uh, body is decomposed and underground. So maybe it is to just suck the life out of her and obviously torment everybody who's there. But I think he would just wreak as much chaos and havoc as he can. I don't think he's just going to peacefully leave. I think that little girl's dying. If it is is all about Karis, then is it all about Karis getting his faith back? Because if you were the devil, don't you want Father Karis to lose his faith? But if you're God, you want that faith to come back. So God sends that devil in there to get Karis to have his faith come back. I There's mean, that, easier ways for God to do that, except, uh, besides hey, killing. Ain't you a ever bunch heard the phrase, people. "The Lord works in mysterious ways"? God killed 
uh, at least two priests. Yeah, he does that all the time. He killed a movie director. <laughs> that, <laughs> Not that, a movie director. Yeah. Aren't there plenty of stories in the Bible of people yes, getting yes, murdered all the time is, just God to prove a point? God does for sure. When they're but the sinners. Devil, but the devil needs people to have faith, too. <laughs> when they're sinners. <laughs> the devil needs people to have faith just as much as God needs people to have faith because if you don't have faith and you don't believe in the devil. And I think ultimately that's my point him. is you can't have one without the other. Exactly. I think most hardcore Christians would tell you, yes, you can't have one without the other, but the God and devil are not the same. Oh, of course. I know. Yeah. That's my take. Yeah. That's my. <laughs> Jack's. Hot yeah. So take. you're going just off cuff, uh, off the cuff. No, I'm writing a book about it. I've been <laughs> writing. This has been my thesis since college. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we get some more possessions. Yes. The priests come, exercise yes. her, they die, and the movie ends. <laughs> yeah, let's get to this final. Well, we are we are kind of at the trucking in. Basically, after this sequence, once he hears the voices on the tape, he plays it in reverse, and it's English in reverse. He's like, well, that can't really be explained. So then he's like, let me go ahead and ask the church if I can do an exorcism. He asks the church for an exorcism, and they essentially say, you can't do it, but we can get this old pro, Father Marin, to do it, and you can assist him. So they call up Max von Sito and they they send him a little page boy. He's a badass in this scene. And I love that it just gets right into it. Yeah. It's like, we need to call Father Marin. Boom. Cab pulling up in front of the house. Foggy outside. You get that sweet ass street lamp there. He steps out of the cab with his fedora hat and his long coat and his briefcase. And there's this like beam of holy light coming out the window. That I think is also up for interpretation. That could be the the light of God saying, this is where you need to go, Marin. But it could also be the light of the devil being like, spotlights on you, bitch, come and get it. Which do you fall into? I'm not answering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's both. Mm-hmm. God and the devil. Mm-hmm. They're both doing it. Um, but this is a fucking amazing shot. It's the poster of the movie. The shot took two days and two nights to light and shoot. Wow. Mm-hmm. For one shot. For one single shot. Also, inspired by a painting. Painting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Painting called Empire of Light by Rene Marguerite. Even the voice, he said, was inspired by a painting. He was like, I want the voice to sound like this painting. Wow. Yeah. See? God. Yeah. Miss him. I know. <laughs> Miss him already. And yeah, they just get right in. It's a prolonged exorcism sequence. He preps him, you know, like Father Karras is trying to kind of tell him like, hey, so I've kind of figured out that there's like three personalities coming out of this. Now, what do you think these three personalities are? I haven't really stopped and thought about it, but like he thinks there are three. There's only one. And, he, and Father Marin says there's only one, which is kind of what I've been thinking. I don't really know what what Karis is getting at. That's here I think him trying to do some like psychiatry talk, like the inner yeah. child. He's trying to add value. ego, per, uh, super ego. Yes, like that type of thing is what. Yeah, it felt multi- like to he's me. still kind of. Thinking he's like trying to look at a, this as a scientist. Yeah, though. and he's trying to be helpful, show his worth, but it's like doesn't apply. It's not your yeah, stupid psychiatry yeah. thing. Yeah. It's, it's like the devil. it's one, oh, okay. it's the devil. Yeah. We're moving on. I didn't get that, but mm-hmm. I like that. Thank you. Oh, wow. That's nice. We'll give you one, too. We'll give you one. And he tells him, the demon is a liar. He will continue to confuse us and mix lies with the truth to attack us. They get in there and immediately she goes, stick your cock up her ass, you motherfucking worthless cocksucker. Be silent. Oh, oh 
splash. He doesn't even like sit there and listen to it. He's just like, be silent. That's what I love about him. He's just a badass. He's like, mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. He just we starts whipping her. And I assume that's real holy water because it seems to be yeah. making gashes now, on her. Was it another exorcist movie that implied that Father Marin did battle Pazuzu at one point, like in Africa? I, when I was looking up Pazuzu. stuff about the book, I was trying to figure out what difference is, what the book said and what this didn't. Um, there was implication that he did have a battle in either Iraq or some other place where he he has fought Pazuzu before. Yeah, the movie does say he oh, I think had an exorcism in Africa that nearly killed him. I think that's what Exorcist the Beginning is. That was what I thought, but I don't remember. Which is yeah. an interesting story where Paul Schrader, mm-hmm. I believe, was the first to go make that movie. And it was called um, Legion or maybe it had another name, Communion or something like that. But it was an Exorcist prequel. He made it, he shot it, they edited it, and the, the financiers were like, we hate this because it was too slow, it was boring or whatever. He was trying to make something in the tone of Friedkin's Exorcist. Mm. Mm. They took it away from him. They brought in Rennie Harlan, <laughs> who directed Cliffhanger uh-huh. and fucking Cutthroat Island and Long Kiss Goodnight. Didn't he direct Die Hard 2? Die Hard 2, yeah. yes, I should, that should have been the first one yeah. I said. <laughs> he also did a Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Yeah. The best and one. They they gave him more money and they said, take this footage that Paul Schrader did. And ruin it. Go shoot more <laughs> and make this movie fun. And so he ended up doing that. And both movies ended up coming out in the same year. So in the same year, you could go see Paul Schrader's version of Exorcist wow. the Beginning or Rennie Harlan's. And obviously Rennie Harlan's was like more action packed. But they both share similar footage. Oh yeah. 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 They both share footage. Rennie's has different footage that he did too. Right. But they're using the same actors, same story, same footage. Fascinating. That's actually stuff. brilliant. If you're gonna fire somebody and kick them off the movie, mm-hmm. find a way to still release that one. Yeah. They made some extra money on that one. Yeah. I wonder if it was a different company that did it. Yeah. We should know. look into that. Maybe that can be an interesting Patreon be at some fun. point to yeah. watch them both and compare. Because uh-huh. I never ended up doing that. I never mm-hmm. ended up going and watching both. But we could literally only watch them at the same time. Two DVD players, Ooh. two TVs. Stereoscopic. Yeah. Crazy good effects in this sequence. This is kind of like a gangbuster sequence where it's it's doing some really good like poltergeist level shit where she's levitating. Did you see the the interesting thing about the levitation thing is um, practically done. It's all done in camera. They did not have the technology to erase the wires. The way they made the wires invisible, the special effects guy said that if you have a completely solid light-colored wire, you'll be able to see it. If you have a completely solid dark-colored wire, you'll be able to see it. But if you go in and you paint it so that it's almost polka-dotted, it's light, dark, light, dark, light, dark, it confuses your eye and it blends mm. in with the background. And they were like, that's how we did it. We mm. just went through and painted the wires. And Do you think like, if you paused it on it, you could go in and see the I don't dots? think so. Wow. And if you did see it, they would have painted it out by now. Probably. At this point, yeah. they probably would have. I'm pretty sure the version we watched was untouched because there was no morph. Like when he gets possessed at the end, it's like a jump. It's cut. a hard jump yeah. cut. Um, and I love it. It looks cool, honestly, to me. They actually built a huge air conditioning system over the set and would overnight run it so that by the time they showed up the next morning, it was 40 below zero. So that's how you can see their breath through it. Uh, And in order to illuminate that, all the sequences like backlit, they would like hang little lamps. Just pause for one second. Repeat the temperature. 40 below. 40, minus 40, Corey. Yeah, that's insane. Minus 40. 
And they would have to take multiple breaks because they said they would get the cameras in and the actors and it would quickly heat up and you would stop being able to see the breath. So they would have to stop and let it freeze up again. It's like so cool. Like before technology it's that incredible. we have now, it's like what you would have to use your brain and like come up with different ways to make things happen. It's now, incredible. none of this would happen. But like it that. does suck for Linda Blair and like the cast. For sure. For I mean, sure. She's there in are, a night. They're honestly all wearing absolutely, Eddie Bauer absolutely. like head to toe. Like they're hiking Mount Everest. <laughs> yeah. And she's in a Nightgown. But I think yeah. so that for that alone, she deserves an Oscar. I would say when it comes to something like that, any actor worth their salt would be excited about it because it would help you get into character. Oh my god! Sorry, that's Careful, just my opinion. Man. That's just my opinion. Corey, what's your take on that? I mean, I don't you disagree. Be excited to be? I, I don't to, disagree. I think it would be. Ex- I think it would be exciting. No, I think it would be any, exciting. Character. Any actor would have no ability. To legitimately say no to something like that of when course. you're working with a director like Gordon Friedkin. So it's not uh, it's not fair. You're saying as a director, somebody who often likes to put people <laughs> in those positions, that they should shut up and be happy. No, no, th- and- I didn't say shut up and be happy. I just said any actor worth their salt would be excited about that. I'm not saying you can't complain. If you get cold, tell me you're cold. Let's warm up. Let's do that. But I'm everybody not that. says they were miserable. You would be miserable in a minus <laughs> 40 set. I mean, you would be miserable because I think about like when I've shot stuff, like when I shot 911 and I had to get yeah. soaked with water. It's like the first time doing it. It was like, this is cool. But by like the freaking yeah, the like fifth or sixth, wears yeah, off wears and off quick. It is no, true. No one it is, is happy. That's not a it test. Is true. That's not a test of your skills as an actor. Yeah. You shouldn't be. Ex- uh, uh, what makes a good actor isn't someone who can just sit through yeah. minus forty. It I does. Agree. It does Max wear off very Max fast. Max was saying you can't act in those temperatures. Yeah. You can't literally move your face. Yeah. I agree. I was thinking about day one. I was thinking about walking in on the set. I would be thrilled yes, if I was an actor. About the magic of the filmmaking of. of but like, yeah, what I understand. You're in day five and you're just like they did this for like at least 30 days i love the shot where marin mark marin he comes in there and he says lock the gates pretty good but there's a great shot (laughs) where there's a great shot where father marin is he's got his hands on her face and her head's turned like on the pillow turned sideways and her mouth is just oozing green vomit it looks cool as hell it looks like a, a puppet yeah and uh, there's a moment where Father Marin has to like bear down on the demon and say, <laughs> I cast you out, unclean spirit. Shut up, your ass. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friedkin tells a story that I wasn't feeling the passion out of Max. And I said, Max, you got to give me more. And we did take after take after take. And Max pulled me to the side and he said, I just, I can't do it. And I said, Max, what's going on? And he said, I just don't believe in God. <laughs> and Max, you're an actor. You have to you have to pretend to believe. What do I got to do? Fly Ingmar Bergman over here to direct this scene? I'll do it. He said, but, but you played Jesus in the greatest story ever told. And he said, yes, but I played him as a man. And he said, then play this guy as a man. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? And he said he took a few minutes and he came back in and he gave him the performance he want. Now, William Peter Blatty thinks that Max von Sydow just didn't want to do it big. Yeah, basically. That makes sense. He wanted him to go bigger and he's like an understated actor. Yeah. He does everything kind of small. 
And he just didn't, he was, he was just coming up with an excuse why he didn't want to do it big. But it's, he eventually got it. Hearing stories like this, it just, I always go back to the hearing. Why don't that, I get cast in more Yeah, things? why the fuck am I I would I never not? fight people on that kind of bullshit. No, it makes me think of Brian Cox um, talking about American actors when like all of that shit came out about succession actors. And he was like, American actors have a disease and it's called method acting. He was like, I don't know what's wrong with all these American mm. actors always having to be method. No, English actors don't do this. We're just, we act. That's all that this yeah. is, is it's playing pretend. And I'm like, you know what? I fucking agree with that. Cause Not some bad. of this shit is bananas. So they have to take another breather. And in your version, the version you've never seen, I have seen it. They have this long conversation. I don't know. Maybe it's not that long. They have a conversation about like, why do you think the devil is doing this? And he basically says, I think the point is to make us despair, to see ourselves as animal and ugly, to reject the possibility that God could ever love us. I totally see why they cut this out of the movie, mm-hmm. personally. Yes. It's too cheesy. It's on too the nose. nose. Yeah. It's not a bad scene. Like I watched it. I went no, and looked it up. I don't and, think it's bad. And th- honestly, the version I've seen the most is the version you've never seen. But you've me. seen it, though. That's true, but I've it's never not, seen it. But it's not the version you've never seen. It's the version you, I've seen most. It's the version you've seen. <laughs> That's what they should say at the top of the box. At this point, that it should be what they put on the box. Yeah. The version you've probably seen the most. Nowadays, it should be the version you've never streamed. Mm. <laughs> Father Marin ends up going in without Karis for a moment. A lot of off-screen stuff that happens in this movie. He, he, he Karis goes down, he talks to Ellen Burstyn for a second. He comes back in and... Not only is Linda Blair now untied from the bed, but Father Marin is just laying there dead. Ding dong dead. Mm. Just face down on the fucking bed. And I love her, like the way she's just chilling. Yeah. She's kind of leaning against the bedpost with this look on her face like, yeah. Very evil dead. It's like when a cat, when you walk in and the cat's shredded up the toilet paper Mm -hmm. roll and the cat's just laying on the couch like, yeah, I fucking did that. I was surprised she didn't say, like, did I do that? <laughs> That's true. And then all of a sudden, the creator of Family Matters sits up and goes, I have an idea for uh-huh. a show. It's the origin story <laughs> of Urkel. <laughs> Urkel is kind of like the Reagan of this family. I mean, honestly, yeah. Not too the, far yeah, off. He's, he's a mischievous piece yeah. of shit. Wait, wait, wait. Family Matters also has a Carl. <gasps> wow justice for carl let's see how far we can take this family matters theory <laughs> urkel's favorite food pea soup <laughs> <laughs> and he starts attacking father Karis basically loses his shit he starts attacking her literally like smacks her a couple times but he's going like leave her come into me and um the, the devil, devil does is like well pazuzu actually we don't know if it's the devil he's just the demon pazuzu okay i'm just saying he he convinces pazuzu to come into him uh when father karis gets possessed and is about to jump out the window he added the image of his mom in yes, the window yes right right no, so that wasn't those in our version yeah william peter blatty asked him for that because he didn't think a priest would kill himself. By this is all, out of a yeah. I, this uh, is all the arguments yeah. too. I yeah. saw Friedkin talking about this. That it's just to, to me, it's like because he's like, but he's sacrificing himself. Well, even for, yeah, yeah. So Fried, Friedkin considers the ending of this movie a biff on his part because yeah. he's like, why if the devil has him possessed, why 
in a split second does the devil not have him possessed enough for him to jump out the window? Because well, he he's even, fighting back. He's fighting he back. He doesn't he's using believe the power that the devil would even jump into. Why would the devil yes. leave the girl and go into him? To me, I buy it. To me, it so feels he's, like he's classic saying, story he's like, Come stuff. into me. Come into yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, if if to your argument, if it's all about Karis and it's all about yeah. the, then the devil would be I like. I didn't question it. And until there's yeah. there's yeah. even like um, Easter eggs to it where Linda Blair at one point in the movie says like, uh, it'll bring us closer. And he's like, you and Reagan. He's like, you and us. Yeah. So it's like, like clearly that. they want yeah. each yeah. other. I feel no, like it is his, the only I feel thing, like it's him. The only thing stupid about that is the addition of his mom's yeah. face in the window. Yeah, that's, yeah. no. It's so stupid. It's dumb, it's not unnecessary. Necessary. So what, what's the justification that he's going like, mama? He thinks he's joining, <laughs> rejoining his mom. Get out of here. Yes. Get no, out of town. It's, it's actually I love crazy. the question, because what bugs them too is the question of like, well, he's a priest. And Catholic priests know that suicide means you don't go to heaven, you go to hell. So why would a priest do that to me that's great that's the beauty yeah, of the ultimate yeah. decision is that no. yes he might he's gonna die and he might go to hell to save this girl yeah. in his faith you know what i mean that's beautiful that's more beautiful to me than like trying to justify it in another way he chooses to hurl himself out that window and take the demon with him i assume is what's happening there he's killing the demon with him yeah but he doesn't die right away he, co- no. he falls down the stairs. Great stunt. Good on this stunt guy because you see him roll down the stairs in a bunch of different shots. They probably did it like a thousand times. Yeah. Uh, he lands at the bottom. Blood starts pooling. A crowd gathers around. Father Dyer, the piano priest, runs over, crouches down, takes his hand, and gives him his last rites. And it's a pretty emotional scene because very he's, emotional. he's just saying, he's just asking him the questions and he's answering by just like opening his hand slowly and closing it. Which is just another great fucking detail. I, oh, I that's it. a really poignant scene. Oh, it's a beautiful moment. When they were shooting, they did a couple takes of it, and he was like not getting it. He wasn't emotionally there. He wasn't giving freaking what he was wanting. Oh they my did God. like four takes, and then he like s- s- took him to the side, and he said, William, do you love me? And he was like, of course I love you. William, do you trust me? No. Of course, yes, trust you. And I reared back and smacked him across the face. And I threw him in front of the camera and I said, action! And the performance you see on film is the performance he gave. I mean, there is something that I kind of love about it, but that's also insane. And he says in his book, he's like, I would never do that again. Yeah, he's like, the it's actions a, of a hot It's head. a trick you can't pull too many <laughs> yeah. times. He was like, I only did it 570 <laughs> times. Yeah, I guess he should have ripped his balls off. Hmm knowing what he would go on to do. Cut to the next day or maybe like a month later or something. Yeah. She doesn't remember anything. She's looking fine. She's kind of back to normal. Gives him a smooch on the cheek. Yeah, she sees his collar. Mm-hmm. She doesn't remember anything, but she sees the collar and she knows in her in her heart and soul. Mm-hmm. So she gives him a hug and a kiss. A lot of people interpret that as her. And now I, I could say uh, she maybe now has faith because she's the one who brought the fucking cross in in the first place which of course she's got the faith but when it comes to ellen burston's character my version she says you can keep your faith stick it up your ass no she does not say <laughs> no. that she gives a man his best friend's necklace and says mm-hmm. bye-bye yeah you're gonna want this and they drive off mm-hmm. is that the only difference of the ending is that she takes the necklace oh no, no. well there is also just sort of a more slightly more pointless addition to it where the lieutenant comes back lee j cobb and he like kind of befriends the other priest he's like how are they doing and he's like she doesn't remember anything he's like that's good do you like movies father 
Mm-hmm. I'm I got tickets to this great one. We should go see. And then they kind of walk off. And yeah. there's like a cheat. The originally, it's I think it's super cheesy. Originally, the line was like, "I'm reminded, Father, of a seed in Casablanca. I feel like this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship." Just like, come on, yeah, guy. That's Blatty. Dude. That's <laughs> Blatty. He wants that happy ending. Yeah, the I, good one. I highly encourage folks who are listening. If you have the choice. Watch the theatrical cut. I am confused because I did hear an actual video clip from Friedkin where he says the version he prefers is the version you've never seen. I mean, I think now it's just like that's me and Blatty's version. Also, too, I think he likes that he was able to go put Pazuzu's face in there a bunch of times and like he wants that. Mm -hmm. He likes that he was able to fix the jump cut and turn it into a morph. It's his George Lucas version. So, of course, Tarantino also mentioned in his interview that William Friedkin requires people to only screen the film on DCP. He will not let them shoot on film. He won't let them project on film. And so he, Tarantino, had to personally call him and be like, I don't do DCP. Can I project it on film? And he granted Tarantino permission to do that. And I'm sure that's because he doesn't want people watching the old version of it. He doesn't want people seeing all the... That's, quote unquote mistakes or whatever. That's silly. But as p- two people who just watched it, there ain't no mistakes. It's it's perfect. There's nothing about it that's gross or weird or dumb. It's yeah. only gross and weird and dumb when you so watch it. So you would together. recommend the original theatrical version? Highly. Yeah. Highly. Highly. And that's the end of the movie. You get a return of uh, tubular bells and a return of those great red f- credits. Love those red credits. Good font, too. Mm-hmm. Really I like awesome. this color purple on the movie title. Me, too. Me, too. The on poster. The poster. Yeah. 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 Well, let's take one more break, and we'll be right back to talk. Final thoughts on The Exorcist. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow-up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking final thoughts on William Friedkin's The Exorcist. 
Corey, I'm going to start with you, doll. You always start with her. Okay, Justin, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. Why don't you call him a doll? Justin, I'm going to start with you, dog. Mm, uh, I can riff, be a riff. doll. I, you know, I did not know how you both would feel about this movie. I came in expecting maybe one or both of you to be like, this is overrated. It's not that good. It's not that scary. Mm-hmm. It was a relief to hear that you loved it because I loved it too. Yeah. And I, I know you're talking about me because I know you knew Jack was going to love no, it. No, I didn't. I thought he for sure would not like it because oh. I, I thought he would think certain things were dated or whatever. But um, I used to own the Blu-ray at one point. And, you did. I remember watching mm-hmm. your Blu-ray. Yeah. And I'm bummed I don't have that anymore. Because I think it had both versions. It's not available anymore. But Damn. A, and it was a book, right? Wasn't it in like the, not steel book, but like... Um, Digibook. Digibook. Yeah. It was a Digibook. So the movie came out in 73, 83, 93, 2003, 13, 23. It's 50 years old. Right on the wow. dot. 50th anniversary 4K Blu-ray is right around the corner. Ooh, baby, so baby. you could pre-order it on yeah. Amazon. Um, so I'm kind of pumped about that mm-hmm. version of it. Although mm-hmm. I did kind of get excited to watch it on DVD because I do worry about what the experience would be mm-hmm. like on 4k or even 1080p because um, you know they go in and change the colors and stuff on that yeah. stuff too the sound i know is dramatically different too like you can hear things in the blu-ray that you can't hear in the dvd and the sound design is really good we maybe mm-hmm. didn't talk about it enough but yeah. the sound design in this it's incredible is great. yeah i think it's great i love the movie i think you know we we have to have a separate conversation about friedkin and the sort of mm-hmm. crazy reckless things that happen on set they don't happen like that anymore so yeah. you know it's a pro- air product of its time mm-hmm. the don't condone we don't condone any we don't stuff. condone it but it's not you know i it's think it's not effective it's not effective no but i do think he managed to do something that very few directors are able to do he's made a movie that 50 a horror movie no less Mm -hmm. that 50 years later yeah is still referenced parodied but still scary he set the mold he he simultaneously broke the mold and then Mm -hmm. reset it and i think in an era of way too many popcorn knockoff conjuring funhouse horror movies a movie that takes its time to build tone, to build the world, to invest in the characters before bad stuff starts to happen yeah. to them. Um, that's what I look for in a in a horror movie. And and so yeah, it's a huge inspiration for me, a big reason I got into horror. And uh I can't wait for us to make our own Hell one yeah. day. Hell yeah. Corey? I couldn't agree more. I was one of my main points was going to be what Justin just said about the fact that it's a movie that's 50 years old and yet it's still so like relevant and prevalent like in pop culture like everybody it's like just part of halloween it's always on every list like it's just so in the culture still which is crazy um i really really like this movie i wish that there were more movies like this in the way of the slow burn of it all it made the fact that they're aren't like pop outs and stuff like this, which I feel like I'm so used to that in horror movies. And that's like what scares me now going to like see a movie is pop outs. Yeah. That it was still able to give me that like scary feeling, but in such like a, I don't know, more artistic feeling way. Um, feels like more authentic dread too. Yeah. Yeah. And I def, I think this movie gets better with age 
which is uh, a testament to it. I uh, I love it. I, it's a movie I could easily, unlike when we did like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where I was like, that's a horror movie. I'm not wanting to go rewatch every year or anything like that. This is a movie that it gives me the spooky feeling and like it's the fall of it all too, which is yeah. like, it gives you that feeling of like, Ooh, I'm excited for fall and Halloween and everything. It, it's a, it's a movie I, I could easily watch every year um, around this time or a little bit later into the year. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm, I parrot everything you guys just said. I think this movie is the definition of aged. Well, yeah. this is just a movie that has not gotten worse over time. It's only gotten better. In comparison to the way technology is now and the way effects are done now and the way movies are made now, it feels superior and uh, it's timeless. And you say it's a great Halloween movie. It sure is. But it's also just like cinema history, you know, mm -hmm. like it's not just a great Halloween scary movie. Like this is an AFI top 100 movie. It's, it's considered a masterpiece by, you know, everybody. And I think it deserves its reputation. It's earned it. I love rewatching it. It's, it was a joy and a pleasure to rewatch. I feel bad that I don't own a copy of it anymore. And so I'm going to get on that. I don't have anything to give away, um, but I'm going to get my copy as soon as I can. And if there's a, if that 4K is coming. Pre-order that 4K. Then I'm, it's, how's that cover? Cover look okay? Bad. That's the problem with these 4Ks. But uh, you never know if there's like a hidden cover sometimes. Sometimes they have like a, a little reversible thing, slip yeah. of paper or something you could pull out. I pray. Yeah. Well, before we move on, I just want to share one more William Friedkin story. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, me and my friends were obsessed with the movie Rules of Engagement, which is a William Friedkin movie starring Sam Jackson, Tommy Lee Jones. It's a very strange movie for a couple of seventh graders to get into because it's like a trial courtroom movie about a soldier who accidentally kills some people, uh, you know, while in like a hostile situation and he gets put on trial for it. And so it's all kind of about the moral ambiguity of it. But for whatever reason, me and my friends were like mesmerized by the movie. We saw it in theaters. We bought the DVD and we would watch it all the time. Uh, and one night, my friend's dad got really sick all of a sudden and had to go to the hospital. And his mom brought him over to my house so that my friend didn't have to go to the hospital. And we hung out and we played and it was like fun because it was a school night and he was getting to kind of like be over late. And eventually it was like, all right, well, it's probably time to go to bed. You both are going to have to go to school tomorrow. Um, so we were like in my room and uh, his mom came back to my house and she was not with his dad. And she sat on my bed and told him and us that his dad had just died uh, of a blood clot. It was like a world flipping moment for everybody. And uh, she said, you know, you're not going to have to go to school tomorrow. Do you want to go home or do you want to stay here with Jack? And my friend said, I want to stay here with Jack. And my parents said, do you guys want to put on a movie? And uh, we said, yeah. And they said, okay, what do you want to put on? And we both looked at each other and we said, <laughs> rules of engagement. <laughs> because it was like a comfort movie to us. 
And I've not watched the movie since. So I have no clue if it holds up. I don't know if it's a good movie. <laughs> the point is, is that William Friedkin's movies have, have had a big, big impact on my life in a, in a lot of ways. And I'll, I'll always appreciate his work for it. Wow. Beautiful story. Mm-hmm. So rest, rest in, in peace, peace yeah. to both. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about The Exorcist. We can't play a trivia game after this. No, the they want to play. They want to play. It's fun. No. What do you say we play? God. The Exorcist-ploitation quiz. That's right. The Exorcist-ploitation quiz. The Exorcist was so influential that it spawned countless knockoffs over the years. And the power of Christ compels you two to guess them all. <laughs> okay, question number one. In this black exploitation knockoff, a minister's wife is possessed by Ishu, the Nigerian god of sexuality, and an exorcist is called in to drive the spirit away. Is it A, Ganja and Hess, B, Abby, C, Black Devil Doll from Hell, or D, Death by Temptation. I've never heard of one of these movies. No. Yeah. Abby? Oh, good, good job, yes. Corey. Yes. Abby, one of the most popular Exorcist knockoffs. It came, I believe, only one year after The Exorcist. Wow. It was out in theaters for only a few weeks before Warner Brothers sued for it being too close to The Exorcist, got it removed from theaters. But in that time, it made over $4 million, which is wow. pretty good for a movie that was only out for a couple of weeks that was a total independent black exploitation movie. Question number two, Corey's point. <laughs> this franchise starting knockoff follows an adopted boy, switched at birth, who brings about mysterious happenings and violent deaths on his fifth birthday. Insidious? A, the good son. Oh. B, it's alive. C. The Omen, or D. Firestarter. Corey. C. The Omen. Ding, ding, ding! It's all for you, Damien. <gasps> Interesting mm-hmm. that Father Karras's name is Damien in the film. Mm-hmm. Scary name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Question number three. In this spoof knockoff, the devil returns to possess the same girl again as an adult. Only this time. The exorcism is performed on live TV. Is it A, student bodies, B, Jennifer's body, C, repossessed, or D, silence of the hams? Justin, C. Repossessed with Leslie Nielsen and Linda Blair. Mm-hmm. She comes back. That's, That's kind awkward. of a bummer. She comes yeah. back and reprises it. She's not playing Reagan. She's playing another, but she's mm-hmm. essentially doing it again mm-hmm. in a spoof. Anything for that paycheck. Hey, this was not. We all need health insurance. Repossessed came out in 1990. The Exorcist is 1973, so that's years before she decides to return to the role. It makes it even sadder. She also did Exorcist II, The Heretic. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen that? Not all the way through. Bits and pieces. Yeah, it's interesting. It's quirky. John Borman directed it, director of Deliverance, Mm -hmm. but it's not very good. Question number four. In this 90s era knockoff, a woman is suddenly inflicted with the wounds that Jesus suffered during the crucifixion. Is it A, stigmata, B, end of days, C, hail Mary, or D, the passion of darkly noon? Justin A. A. 
Ding, ding, ding. I know it too. We said it at the same time. All right. We got well, a- same with Omen. Yeah. So it's our point. It's pool, our, yeah. So we got sure. a tie game here, folks. It's getting really tight and fun and interesting to me. <gasps> Question number five. Patricia Arquette, by the way, plays the, the lead in that movie. Uh, and we watched it recently and we had a pretty good time. Yeah. It has a lot of like music video editing in it. So if you like music videos, <laughs> check it out. Stigmata. Question number five. In this courtroom knockoff, a priest is put on trial after the death of a young woman during an exorcism. Is it A, Last Rites? B, The Exorcism of Emily Rose? C, The Devil's Advocate? Or D, The Devil Inside? C, The Devil Advocate? That is with Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino and is a great, oh, fantastic yeah. I've film. I've seen that, I've seen that, I've seen that. I was just trying to think of a lawyer-sounding word. Mm, is it A? Last Rites? Emily Rose? The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And you know who plays the lawyer? Laura Linney. Mm. I've actually never seen it. I remember, I, so. I remember like when it came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Question. I, I skip most of the exorcism. Yeah, movies. they're not yeah. ones that I rush out to see. Yeah. This new one, though. <laughs> there is actually a new one out right now called um, the. It's got Russell Crowe. Oh, oh yeah. The Pope's the Exorcist. The Pope's Exorcist. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's also a new Final Destination. What? Oh yeah, God. I just saw a, a billboard for it. Oh, well, I want to go see it. I do too. Those are ones that I will go see because they're yeah. terrible, but they're actually pretty fun. Keep going. Question number six. In this mockumentary knockoff, a reverend hires a film crew to follow him, performing an exorcism in order to dispel the myth of possession. Is it A, deliver us from evil, B, a haunting in Connecticut, C, the taking of Deborah Logan, or D, the last exorcism? B, the haunting and would be whatever B was. Haunting in Connecticut? Yeah. C, the taking of Deborah Logan? <laughs> D D the last exorcism but I'm not giving you the point. Rude. Sorry. Okay. Final question. This one is worth 666 points. Ooh. That's the like devil's where Friedkin, number. Where Friedkin took uh the movie wasn't there a building he did some stuff in? That had 666. Uh-huh, oh, I didn't read that. Yeah. Some of that curse stuff felt just too speculative that I was like, I'm not even going to dig into this. Um, All right. Final question. This one might throw you. In this Looney Tunes knockoff, a classic cartoon character attempts to save a possessed damsel in distress. You listening, Corey? Yes. Sorry. Did you hear the question? Nope. (laughs) I didn't think so. Were you listening? Yeah. Did you hear the question? Nope. You were possessed by your phone. Okay. I got to get on a freaking Zoom. (sighs) Pazuzu. Talk about Steve Jobs. You know what I'm saying? Pazoom. Pazoom Zoom. You got to get on your Pazoom Zoom. There you go. In this Looney Tunes knockoff, a classic cartoon character attempts to save a possessed damsel in distress. Is it A, the Pigsercist? B, the Ducksercist? C, the Bugsercist? Or D, the Elmercist? I hope it's the Pigsercist. I'm going to guess Bugsercist. 
I'm gonna guess Elmer sis. I'm gonna guess duck sis. <laughs> Justin wins the exorcist flirtation I'm gonna go ahead and call it right now that exorcist beginning is not gonna be good. Yeah, I'm worried about it too. I will say the trailer is fun. I have a good time watching it and I enjoy that. And I will be first in line. I will see it. Mm-hmm. I'll see it opening weekend. But um, yeah. I do see some things about that trailer that are giving me some worries. And I have to admit, I did not love the Halloweens that David Gordon Green David used yeah. Gordon Green, the name, used to mean so much to me. Me too. And now when I see it, it doesn't really do anything. But anymore. Righteous Gemstones is still feeling good to me. Well, David Gordon Green's got some good TV stuff going yes. on. But his movies are hit and miss these days. He used to be amazing. Where he's doing his best work right now, I think, is Righteous Gemstones. And he's getting to kind of do it all. His there. episodes yeah. are his, so funny. Com- his comedies. Yes. Are his comedies are really yes. funny. Yes. All that being said. I'm excited for Exorcist the Beginning. It's not called Exorcist the Beginning. It's called Exorcist Believer. Mm-hmm. The Believer. Oh, that's true. We'll talk about it on a Patreon, possibly. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, we will. Yeah, that'll I be a good Patreon episode. Well, folks, that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possess Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. Uh, and if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials. Those are our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any place that will allow you to leave a review for a podcast. They help us. We like them. We love to hear your feedback and uh, it gets more people to listen. Share with your friends. Share with your family. Tell everybody you know if you love the pod. And uh, as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. See you in hell. Bye. Bye.